no, when I'm uh, sometimes in a, in my office, because I will try by all means to assist with the audiovisual, but uh, I think I would only open now from so that you can see you are talking to me, not just the voice. But uh, I will not be showing the view in order to save the network again. Um, are there any apologies? Morning, Chair. Just a following apologies. This is Ngula, who's unable to attend uh, due to prior commitments. And then we've also received an apology from the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, who's attending an NCCC meeting. Those are the apologies received. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Um, if that is the case, honorable members, we we are today dealing with um, um, what uh, was requested, which um, was granted, and uh, I think. It, uh, it, um, it reflects what uh, we were mandated by the committee in its adoption of the, the report. Um, and therefore, I think um, we will be dealing with the issue of the um, the risk mitigation, um, IPP procurement program, uh, as presented, and um, that will include uh, the issue with regards to the um, power ship um, vessel and based on the issues that we have had. But uh, before I do that, honorable members, I think uh, allow me to do something that is unconventional probably. Um, last night, if I'm not mistaken, or late yesterday, we forwarded to your good selves the the some of the correspondences we have received. I thought it would be um, probably disadvantaging the department, but also disadvantaging members that uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a common practice and it's not a procedure. But I think from where I sit as a chair, it would be necessary that uh, members should receive that uh, correspondence but also for the department, so that if there is any take, they can, in the process of their presentation, um, uh, uh, look at the what has been proposed to the committee. I'm not sure whether the letter, by the way, was written or the correspondence was being sent to the chair or was being sent to the committee through the chair but uh, I felt it might be necessary for members to have sight 
of that uh, um, that, that request. But the request on the, if I'm not mistaken, there were two letters. The request was mainly on the need or a proposal that uh, um, there should be consideration of uh, public uh, hearings and so forth. I'm not sure of the procedure, especially when something is not necessarily a matter that relates to legislation or to some degrees regulations and uh, and 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 and, and uh, yeah re- regulations by the department but having said so can i request uh, mr Potier, uh, just to fly to that letter if possible in fact those two um just for the attention of members Ari? I'm busy with it quickly, Chair. There you go, Chair. Oh, sorry, I was saying you can read it very fast. I'm sorry, this is mute and unmute sometimes uh, is difficult. I was talking to myself. Dear Honourable, request for public hearings on the risk mitigation independent power producers procurement program. According to, the, according to Parliament's program for Tuesday 20th April 2021, your committee is due to receive a briefing on the risk mitigation independent power producers procurement program, and specifically the choice of the car power ship projects is preferred by this in the evaluation of the bids from the Department of Mineral Resources. Civil society organizations and communities all along the coast of South Africa have raised significant concerns about this choice of emergency power, which will tie us into fossil fuels for at least further 20 years. Given that this choice of energy is expensive, provides little opportunity for local content and undermines the just energy transition. We believe that Parliament must investigate the decision to award preferred bidder status to car powership. This investigation should include how a foreign-owned company was able to circumvent local content rules and the fact that its application processes have not involved meaningful public participation with the people of South Africa, particularly disadvantaged communities. The impact of these power subs will affect all South Africans through the impact on electricity prices over time. 
we request that Parliament hold public hearings into the RMI triple PP. We do not believe that Parliament can be fully informed if it only receives a briefing from DMRE. As our parliamentary representatives are required to consider the inputs of civil society and particularly impacted communities in your oversight role of holding the executive accountable. Then just the names of uh, people representing the various uh, NGOs here. That's it. Yeah. Is there no second one? Let me open the second one. Oh. Please. This one is from the Southern African Faith Communities Environment Institute. Dear Honorable Zupo, my warm greetings. I see that you are having an energy portfolio committee on Tuesday, 20th April. Since you are dealing with an issue that is so important for the future well-being of our country and indeed for our planet, I'm taking the liberty of writing to you in the hope that you could ask your portfolio committee members of parliament to consider what our responsibility is before God regarding energy and to bring this to the attention of the Honorable Minister Gwede Mandashe. You will know that God mandated us to care for this wonderful creation. God put the man in the garden to keep it, Genesis 2 verses 15. God has given us responsibility to care for life on the planet, Genesis 1 verse 28. You will also know that we are not doing a very good job as we are bringing about the sixth great extinction. God requires and challenges us to care for one another and on all God's creations. Is this not what the wonderful African concept of Ubuntu requires of us? Yet we make the pursuit of money our priority. Money should be seen only as the tool, the resource to care for life. You cannot serve God and well. Matthew 6, verse 15. We know that our contemporary world is dependent on energy. We also know that electricity is the most efficient form of energy. The question is how we generate electricity. Please ask your committee members to consider the following. One, which are the most environmentally sustainable methods of generating electricity? Two, which will employ the most people? Three, which are the least polluting? Four, which cost the least? Some years ago, South Africa was well in the lead in Africa with renewable energy. And there were many companies seeking to invest in renewable energy. Many have now left or are waiting for approval. This is highly unfortunate in terms of investments but even more so in terms of global warming and climate change. We have to stop burning fossil fuels this decade to 
if we are to prevent the runaway, unstoppable global warming. We don't have 30 years to go carbon neutral. We have to stop polluting the atmosphere as a matter of urgency. If this is unchecked and we don't change, we in Africa will have average temperature increases of 4 degrees centigrade, which will destroy much of our agriculture and water resources. The costs incurred because of rising ocean levels are incalculable. The fires in Australia and California and Cape Town yesterday are examples of the impact of global warming. Ostrich Mill was erected in 1796. It and the buildings of UCP have survived until we experience this exceptional weather. It is now clear that gas is not a sustainable alternative. It is only less damaging than coal and oil. We ask you to try to ensure that South Africa does not spend valuable resources on oil and gas infrastructure, which will rapidly become stranded assets as the world moves away from fossil fuels. In particular, we ask that Parliament investigate the decision to award preferred bidder status to car power. This will lock us into a form of energy we need to move away from. We pray wisdom and responsibility to our Creator God as you meet with our prayers, yours in Christ, Bishop Jeff Davis. Okay, thanks, Ari. I, I thought, honorable members, because I, I, let me say, I saw the, these letters very late. Hence, um, I might be um, accused to have uh, concealed the information to the committee. And if you read the second one, it refers directly to, to, to members of the committee. So, under normal circumstances, I could have just um, uh, ignored the fact that, again, it was not within the 24-hour period that we were supposed to get the information. But um, I just felt that um, it, it is important uh, to, to provide. But also, I could have just done, as I say, I could have just done so um, when uh, we deal with correspondence later, that would have deprived, in my view, the department that uh, as it uh, makes its presentation, it has got an understanding. So if they feel that they will want to have a take on some of these, uh, these issues, it, it can do so. Again, I could have forwarded the, that uh, correspondence to the department, but in the manner in which the letter was structured, um, I felt it did not give more of an instruction on me, but uh, it also required the attention of the committee. But uh, members will bear with me if sharing that with the department before them yeah, is, uh, is, 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 uh, is, is disadvantaging. But I thought it advantages us so that we don't go back and forth. Normally, when correspondence are done anyway, we could just distribute them to the relevant people that it talks to. Um, but uh, uh, knowing that we've got a huge task as a committee to focus on what has to be done. So bear with me, DG, and your team. Uh, I must not assume that you are here, by the way. Are you here, Babum Kwan? 
Greetings, the Honorable Chair. Yes, okay. So uh, let me give it to you. At least you've got uh, a benefit now of um, uh, what what are the other issues. I'll just ask members that if they want to have a take, even in relation to that correspondence, when we deal with the questions of clarity, uh, members will have uh, will be allowed to have a bite on uh, on the correspondence that was forwarded. Uh, if they feel it's not matter that requires to be considered, I think again it's a matter that uh, we will deal with it at as and at that moment. Without any further delays, DG, can I give it to you? Thank you, thank you very much, um, Honorable Chair. Greetings to yourself and also greetings to the honorable members of the Portfolio Committee on Mineral Resources and Energy, all the deputy directors general that are in the call, chief directors, support staff to uh, parliament and ministry, all our guests and our media in attendance. Um, honorable Chair, we have been invited to appear before the committee as you have indicated. Uh, to take you through the risk mitigation independent power producer procurement program. Um, we have the DDG, uh, DDG Mbele, that will be delivering the presentation. Now, I just want to comment on a few issues here with your indulgence as well, and also honorable members. I think uh, as the letters have been presented, I would want also to touch on those letters not in detail and allow the uh, Dijimbele also to come in. Now, uh, we're aware that the minister gazetted a determination on the 7th of July in 2020, following a concurrence by uh, NERSA. And also, uh, Chair, we are aware that uh, on the 24th of August, uh, you know, uh, 2020, the department issued the request for proposals uh, for new generation capacity, which is uh, popularly known as the risk mitigation independent uh, power producer procurement program. The bids, uh, you know, closed on the 22nd of uh, December, 2020. On the 18th of March, uh, 2021, uh, the minister uh, announced the eight, or the department announced the eight preferred bidders these are successful bidders subject uh, to them you know complying with all regulatory requirements such as environment safety and licensing i think now chair uh, that is a point that i just want to emphasize anyone has got the right of course uh, i've got no lucas dandy to come here and say people don't have a right to come and present their issues to the PPC. But I think as the country, we know that we have laws and we subject ourselves to the applicable prescripts. Here we are dealing with a procurement matter, which any party that is not happy with the process itself, that party would have a right uh, to engage the relevant authorities. And so I think we must, I mean, appreciate that, um, it, but it's your call, Chair and Honorable Members. Uh, but um, I, I think it, it is important for our people also to appreciate that 
Now, you can see in terms of the process that you are still busy with at the moment that um, these uh, successful bidders are subject to them complying with regulated requirements, uh, such as environment, safety, and licensing, uh, if I can just emphasize that. Now, no contracts have been entered into. Uh, contracting, which is a, you know, a power purchase agreement with ESCOM, would only take place after financial close when preferred bidders have uh, complied with all regulatory requirements. And so I think from our side, uh, Chair, because the ball is now in your court, uh, we, we can uh, confirm that uh, if anyone would want to take us to task in regard with the compliance with the bid process, whether have we defaulted or not, and so we can be able to respond to those issues which is something that I believe um, we need to account for as the department. Now, any you know, issue where people are unsatisfied, uh, there are due processes that uh, can be followed. Now, I thought I should just I mean, you know, clarify it at a high level, Chair, um, uh, and also to invite uh, DDG Mbele uh, to take uh, the honorable members through the presentation. Thank you very much. Over to you, uh, DDG. Um, thank you, DG. Um, good morning, uh, Honorable Chairperson, um, Honorable Members, um, colleagues from the Department, and uh, members of the public in the Portfolio Committee. Um, Chair, I'm going to take you through uh, yourself and Honorable Members through a presentation on the status of the Risk Mitigation Independent Power Producer Program. Chair, in terms of the presentation um, outline, um, I will take you through a high-level status update in terms of the various interventions we are undertaking to bring online additional capacity to assist in dealing with the power shortage challenges. And then I will take a bit of a deep dive into some details around uh, the risk mitigation process with the intent to clarify some of the issues that uh, have generally been um, issues of discussion in the in the public domain. Uh, next slide, please. Chair, let me start first by indicating that um, um, the integrated resource plan, which is um, the plan that we're following um, in the procurement of uh, additional capacity recognizes that uh, the supply and demand gap created by challenges uh, with the ESCOM generation plans requires that we undertake agent uh, procurement of additional capacity. And I think here it's important to note that we're talking about agent procurement. Others may choose to use the word emergency procurement, but agent procurement here is with regard to the agency to bring online uh, additional capacity as soon as possible. And maybe Chair, just to add to the point that DG raised and talking to the IRP, the IRP Chair um, was promulgated in 2019 following a long process that started in 2015. And part of the reason the IRP took that long is because of the extensive engagements um, that uh, happened um, during its development. 
Chair, there were no less than um, three general public engagements in the development of the IRP. And most of the issues that um, are raised um, in the letters that the chairperson has read were raised by the, uh, 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 the same uh, 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 organizations. And there were extensive discussions, um, chairperson. I mean, in, 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 for example, the first a public engagement on these issues was when we went through all the non-provinces engaging on the assumptions that had to go into, into the IRP. And the second engagement with the public was when the public was given an opportunity to comment on the draft uh, of the IRP. The third opportunity was when the then portfolio committee in um, the portfolio committee on energy invited members of the public, including um, the same organizations that uh, have sent the letters through, um, where there was like a two, three week process uh, that was undertaken in parliament. Um, the fourth engagement um, with the public was when the department uh, took the IRP through um, the NEDLEC process. So the point I'm trying to emphasize here is that there'd been extensive engagements around the energy uh, mix that is in the IRP, which includes um, gas as a fuel that we need to be able to balance the system. And Chairperson, I think our role as a department or our role as the people who are putting together the IRP was to balance the inputs, take into account the technical requirements. And the final IRP that was published uh, took all the, the, the inputs into consideration, including to the extent that the department as part of that IRP published a table as an annexure indicating how it dealt with all the issues that were raised by the general public. Chairperson, the last opportunity or the, the, the other opportunity that um, the public had in engaging with the IRP is when the minister uh, issued a determination to, to NASA. That determination uh, for NASA to concur, NASA went through a public process where they considered all the inputs and information in the public domain is that these same organizations also uh, gave their comments. And there is a decision um, that is public in terms of the decision, uh, the record of decision by the regulator in terms of why they concurred to the decision to procure uh, this additional capacity from a range of technologies. Chairperson, I thought I should first just start there to indicate the extent um, to which um, the, 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 the process of engaging the public um, uh, was undertaken to the, point where, to the point that we are at. So the issue around whether gas should form part of the energy mix or not was engaged on extensively uh, as part of those processes. And... Um, Chairperson, from a technical point of view and from the understanding of the system requirements and uh, what is possible in the current circumstance, it was very clear that gas has to be a part of the energy mix. And Chairperson, the second thing that we did is when then we issued the request for proposal or when we undertook the risk mitigation, we then made it clear that the risk mitigation must as much as possible align to the IRP. And it's a point that I will touch on later on in the, in the presentation. 
And now moving away from that point, Chairperson, um, then following the IRP, they, because of the urgent need to procure additional power, with the understanding that um, traditional procurement of um, power um, has a lead time of about 36 months or so, meaning that um, it will take about 36 months plus before additional power is brought onto the grid. The department, and this was again on the basis of the fact that there were a lot of people who were saying they, they can assist with load shedding, they've got solutions, the department must just make the space available for them to participate. Then the department uh, went out on what we call the request for information uh, in November 2019, where we we're trying to gather information about what is available in the, in the public domain that can be brought online um, as quick as possible. And, you know, the, the outcome of that request for information indicated that there were two types of projects or two types of opportunities that we could, we could take advantage of. And the first one was that there is capacity from existing facilities um, and um, for, 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 for us to get access to, those to that capacity, um, the owners or the investors in that capacity were willing to enter into short-term contracts, three to five-year contracts, uh, because that capacity, they use it for other things. So they were not generally um, willing to enter into, they didn't want to enter into long-term uh, um, uh, um, contracts. And, and part of the reason as well is because these are existing facilities of which the, the, the some of them have been paid for. So, so they were able to offer a price that is competitive and affordable and that a price that was not going to uh, impose further burden on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the consumer through the tariffs. The second group of, of, of capacity or projects was um, that um, uh, 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 the market indicated that there are projects that people had been working on in anticipation of between the five and the implementation of the IRP. Um, and these projects are generally ready. And um, these projects can generally, can then be brought online um, in time span of about 12 to 18 months. But because these are greenfield projects uh, and they, 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 they will involve a significant capital outlay, they would require a long-term power purchase um, agreement similar to what we do with the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Program. Then the steps that the department took then was to then, uh, through engagement with the team at ESCOM, was to say then ESCOM is enabled to pursue the short-term options. And um, you'd be aware that then ESCOM sometime last year then followed up and initiated what we call a short-term power purchase program uh, where they were buying power, they were looking for power from the market um, that they could contract for a period, I think about three uh, to five years. And I will just give a high uh, an, an update on, on, on what happened to the process. The second program that we then designed, which was run by the department, was to then go for that capacity that can be brought online in 12 to 18 months, but would require long-term power purchase agreements. And that is why then the department then initiated the risk mitigation independent power producer pro program. And Chair, I'm explaining this because um, when I started, I spoke about agent procurement versus what everybody calls uh, emergency procurement. Um, the, 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 the intent for the second program was not necessarily to catch projects that were supposed to 
have short-term contracts, those projects could have been uh, initiated or could have bid in the process that ESCOM ran. What the risk mitigation independent power producer procurement program was meant to do or is meant to do is to uh, access the capacity from projects that can bring online power in 12 to 18 months compared to 36 months plus um, for, for those projects that will still have to start from scratch. Uh, next slide, please. And just here, um, just a high level update in terms of those interventions. Um, in terms of the short-term uh, power procurement program that was run by ESCOM, uh, ESCOM has uh, advanced that process. I think they only managed to get about 128 megawatts out of that process. And um, they are now uh, into the final processes of getting the, the approvals. Um, they have obtained the necessary approvals from Treasury, and um, they're just waiting uh, final approval from the regulator in terms of the cost recovery. So that is 20, 128 megawatts. And as you can see, that power is far from the gap that everybody uh, talks about. The second procurement uh, process um, that we were undertaking was that uh, at the same time, existing renewable energy IPPs had indicated that they also have capacity that um, they can bring online. We did some background work and we discovered that there was about 200 plus or so megawatts that can be harnessed from the various projects. And um, engagements happened with ESCOM where ESCOM indicated interest in purchasing this additional capacity. And um, as a department, we undertook internal approval processes and we are now at a stage where we're just waiting for uh, National Treasury to give us a, a go ahead in terms of variation, in terms of the contracts from these IPPs, because these are existing uh, uh, contracts. And the next step will just be obviously to make offers to this IPP in terms of the, the cost that um, ESCOM has indicated they're willing to pay for this additional capacity. The third program, Chairperson and Honorable Members, is the risk mitigation. Um, where the minister announced preferred bidders on the 18th of March. I will go into the details of, 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 of this program um, as part of this presentation. The, the other intervention is obviously the implementation of the rest of the IRP. And um, this uh, is starting with 11,831 megawatts um, as per the section 34 determination that was conquered to NASA sometime last year. What we've done here so far is that we have already uh, last week issued a request for proposal for 2,600 megawatts uh, from renewable energy under the so-called between the five. And this will generally follow the same requirements um, as the risk mitigation where these will be long-term 20-year or so uh, PPAs. Additional um, RFPs out of this section, uh, section 34 determination will be issued as indicated in the slide below. There'll be uh, additional bid windows from renewables, uh, from battery storage, from gas, and from coal. And as I indicated, this is in line with the integrated resource plan 2019. And this determination as well underwent um, public consultation before the regulator concurred. Uh, to us uh, procuring these technologies. Chairperson, if I go now into some details around the risk mitigation, um, 
the DG has already indicated, shared with uh, the members that uh, the minister gazetted a determination for us, following concurrence by the regulator, for us to procure uh, 2,000 megawatts. And um, the, 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 the objective um, for us in procure, as part of procuring this was um, uh, to procure additional generation from a range of technologies and the reason we, we, we said a range of technologies is because we did not want to limit um, where we get the energy from. Otherwise, we would obviously limit our options uh, in terms of the, 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 the power that we could get uh, to be able to assist in closing the gap as a result of the ESCOM power plant um, challenges. Then the second part was that uh, we all know that when before there's load shedding, ESCOM would obviously deploy uh, diesel picking power plants outside of picking to try and minimize the amount of power that is to be to be load shed. So part of the process was that this process must as much as possible uh, minimize the utilization of this diesel picking plant because um, the cost of running this plant, I mean, is one of the challenges that ESCOM has already raised that uh, it puts financial pressure on them. The the request for proposal was issued by the department um, on the 25th, 24th of August, 2020, and the bid submission closed on the 22nd of December, 2020. Next slide, please. Chairperson, in terms of the process um, to acquire this power, um, the department um, recognizes the complexity that's involved in uh, pulling together this kind of procurement and projects. And uh, hence the, the IPP office was established uh, uh, about four or five years ago, actually um, more than five years ago, around 2011 or so, to, to assist the department in the procurement of a, a renewable energy. So we followed the same process that we follow it when we procure a renewable energy. The department mandated the IPP office to assist us in developing the request for proposal and to assist the department with the evaluation of the bids. The IPP office is a small office. They don't have a huge team of full-time employees. The model is such that uh, based on, on, on a project basis, the IPP office would appoint a team of experts or transaction advisors to help in the development of the RP and the evaluation of the bids. And uh, this information is, uh, available publicly on the website of the IPP office. Um, and um, Chairperson, in terms of the development of the request for proposal, uh, the companies that uh, we used uh, are as indicated there. They generally grouped into four categories. We, we've got uh, financial advisors. And as you can see in the development of the RP, it was those two companies indicated there. Uh, economic development, uh, technical advisory, and uh, legal advisory. Similarly, Chair, when the bids are evaluated, we, we use transaction advisors to assist the department and IPP office to evaluate these bids. And um, those are the uh, companies that uh, were appointed um, to assist in, in the evaluation of the, of the bids. And hence, we generally say that this is an independent process because um, it's generally the assessment is done by an independent team of transaction advisors. Next slide. 
In terms of the outcome of the program, Chairperson, 28 bid responses were received um, as at 22 December 2020. Out of the 28 bids that were received, 17 were deemed to have met the functional criteria and minimum threshold requirements. Um, and again, this is the process that is run by independent uh, transaction advisors at the IPP office. Out of the 17 projects that made the first cut, 11 were deemed to be eligible uh, for recommendation as uh, preferred bidders. And um, this is in line with uh, the requirements. Um, and one of them being that um, the projects must meet the technical specification. And I will, I will go into some detail around the technical requirements in terms of the, the projects. The project must have met the technical requirements. The project must also obviously uh, provide value for money in terms of what we're procuring. And um, the projects are expected um, to contribute to uh, economic development. They, then, as I indicated, the evaluation process um, resulted in eight, 11 preferred bidders, of which eight uh, totaling uh, about 1,845 uh, megawatts were announced by the minister on the 18th of March, 2021 and a further three bids totaling 150 megawatts. Um, the minister did announce that um, because we we had, um, we, we, we still wanted to engage these bidders in terms of value for money, we, 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 we had, uh, the process had indicated that the prices they had put forward are a little bit outside of the normal uh, prices. And that process uh, of uh, engaging these bidders is, at final stages and uh, an announcement will be made uh, soon in this regard. In total, uh, Chairperson and members of the committee, um, this process um, has basically managed to uh, source about 1,995 megawatts out of the 2,000 megawatts. And you may probably ask a question, what about the five megawatts? Um, the next possible project that would have qualified is not five megawatt in size, it's bigger. So obviously in terms of determination, we cannot take more than what was determined, but you can take less than what was determined. Hence, there is a five megawatt shot there. I've, I've already indicated that the three eligible bidders um, are being subjected to value for money uh, proposition. And this um, is in line with the provisions uh, that are already there in the, in the request for, for proposal. Next slide, please. Chair, this slide and members, this slide summarizes the, the outcome from the program. If I start on the right-hand side, um, that table indicate the bidders and um, what we call the evaluation price, the price that they had said um, they are likely to come at. And we also show the contracted capacity or the megawatts. The weighted average um, cost um, from, from, from this program will sit at around 1,500, which is about um, 150 per kilowatt hour. Um, and, and we say it's weighted because these projects, it's weighted because these projects uh, don't contribute the same amount of energy into into the grid as you can see they, they, they are from different sizes the map um, just tries to indicate the location of of um, these uh, projects um, you will see that um, there is quite a number of these projects uh, along the the coast 
and uh, there's um, a number of projects in 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 um, in 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 the Northern Cape as well. And maybe chair, while the focus has been obviously on 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 the gas projects, one must indicate that um, these projects um, are from some of them deploy a combination of technologies. For example, you get projects, and um, if you take you will note that um, it, 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 it's a combination of uh, solar PV, battery storage, LP gas, and wind, you know. And, and the reason this, is, this combination is like that is because there was a technical specification that needed to be met. And so what we did, um, the bid did not specify the technology like we do with renewables. So we'll say one 2000 or 1000 megawatt of solar PV. We, we, we working with ESCOM, the system operator, they gave us a specification and said, from our experience and from what we see every day when you operate the system, these are our requirements. And so the department and the IPP office took those requirements as provided by the transmission system operator from ESCOM and put it to the market and say, this is the problem that you must assist in solving. How do you put together your technologies to resolve this problem or to assist in contributing to this problem? So hence, you will see that all these projects have got a combination of, of technologies, except obviously for for, for, for the car power projects where they decided to respond to the solution just using, using gas. Chairperson, um, in terms of the overall investment uh, benefits from this program, um, the, you will see that um, we, we just uh, for now reporting on the 1,845 megawatts um, because we did not want to preempt the outcome of the value for money discussions for the remaining 150. So, in terms of this project, you would see that um, the investment from those that have been announced, um, uh, we will attract about 45 billion worth of investment. And um, these projects um, uh, have committed um, uh, about 50% uh, uh, local content. And um, maybe I should just at this stage go into explaining that local continent content is calculated as a percentage of total project value, where total project value is calculated taking into account certain excluded amounts, such, such as banking costs, lease costs in respect of a project or project site. For example, we don't include the land where the project is going to be put uh, in the calculation for, for local content. You know, and um, but what also happens is that the when we calculate local content, we 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 exclude what is already designated by the DTIC. So it's because we, we, we want the projects to do up and above what the DTIC has already uh, uh, exempted. But with regard, sorry, uh, the DTIC is already uh, uh, designated. With regard to DTIC uh, designations, the, if obviously a component is designated and the bidder feels that uh, they cannot get it locally, there is a process that they follow with the DTIC and the DTIC will then exempt that project. And maybe to be specific here to the issue that everyone talks about, I think it was mentioned in the letters as well, about local content of these ships. The, the one point that one has to make is that um, the big issue that's made is around the fact that um, 
the ships will be leased. Um, in our consideration, um, what happened is that as part of the Oceans Economy Operation Pakisa, shipbuilding is a designated, was then made a designated activity. But obviously the bidders went to the DTIC based on the assessment of the DTIC. The DTIC then made a decision to exempt um, these ships from, from obviously uh, the requirement to be uh, built here. And But in addition to that, what they did do, they actually indicated to these ships that um, they will require, they require that the exemption is subject to these ships being maintained and overhauled here in South Africa, not somewhere else. So in terms of its operations while they are here, the expectation is that um, those uh, that work um, or the maintenance must must happen here in South Africa. Chair, the second point that is raised for, by everyone is the fact that um, the the equipment on the ship, including the gas turbines and all those things, um, are not local. The reality is that in South Africa we don't have a big um, a, a, a gas to power uh, industry, and uh, it's something that as part of the gas to power project we're hoping will kickstart. Um, so as we sit here, there is not local content. Many of these engines, even if it was not on these ships, they would have been imported from somewhere else because there is not a local market. And by the way, the other point that one must mention is that it takes time to build local industry. If the issue is time, the speed to connecting the power to the grid, um, as one sits here, I can clearly indicate that there is no way that um, any company would have put a manufacturing capacity to manufacture um, you know, some of this equipment here in South Africa and still enable the projects to connect in 12 to, to 18 months. So, so I thought I should just clarify that point. The other requirement in terms of the program was that um, we had a minimum requirement for South African entity participation, including Black South African participation. The, the requirement was that uh, this project must have minimum 49% South African entity participation and 30% uh, Black South African participation. In terms of the eight projects that uh, we, we, we have awarded preferred bidder status, um, these projects have come at 52%, 53% uh, uh, South African entity participation and about 41% uh, Black South African participation, which is higher than um, what we, we had as a, as, a, as a minimum threshold. The, then the other benefits is, is that there will be jobs created and here about 17,000 jobs. And um, one must explain that the way we calculate jobs because we want to also account for uh, jobs during construction. We, we, we refer to job years and one job year is basically equivalent to one person employed for a year. And there are also other socioeconomic and enterprise and skills development benefits. And um, there is an estimated about 1.5 billion from this project that will go towards, towards that. And next slide, please. Chairperson, I'm, 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 I'm not going to go into um, read out all these, these bullets, but uh, just to, these slides are meant to just uh, magnify some of the issues um, that we thought they, they are important to, to, to share with the portfolio committee and the members of the public at large. Um, I've already touched on the fact that um, the technical specification or the technical requirements in terms of what type of 
power or the characteristic of the solution that must be provided should be was a requirement uh, from ESCOM, not a requirement by, by the department. So the department um, put together a program to respond to the needs of the system operator and 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 the system operator it's where the real experts in terms of power system operation uh, are sitting um and 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 i guess um as a department we may have had a view but um we don't operate the system the system operator does and the system operator knows what he wants to be able to make sure that uh, they minimize the the, the 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 load shedding in the in the country um and um Chepesen, so in terms of the design of the program we we allowed for um for 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 for, for, for companies to be able to put together solutions which uh, provides for dispatchable and non-dispatchable and maybe i should just explain this point around dispatchable and non-dispatchable chair with with what happens is that renewable energy um which is solar uh, pv and and wind we we say it's non-dispatchable uh, in a sense that you cannot switch it on and off uh, or utilize it as and when you need it. When the sun shines, the power is there, you have to use it. When the wind blows, the power is there, you have to use it. You can't decide when you want the wind to blow. But when you operate the system, the system operator wants the flexibility because when certain events happen that you did not plan for, you want the flexibility to deploy some of the capacity or the power plants that, that you have. If we take, for example, uh, Chairperson and members, you, you will notice that normally when ESCOM has load shedding, they don't tell us two days before. Generally, it's something that in an hour they will say that they'll be load shedding at two o'clock. It's because something has happened that is outside of their control. And at that point in time, they don't have any plant to dispatch to close that gap. And their next option becomes load shedding. So what ESCOM wanted in terms of this program was that these plants must be able to, even though, for example, what they are doing is that they are going to, they, they guarantee the minimum dispatch of about 50% in a year, but they wanted the flexibility to be able to access the other 50% should a problem arise in the system. And in that regard, that's where technologies like battery storage and gas come in to assist you know, because those you can, it's, it's stored energy that you can deploy as and when um, uh, the system require those, those technologies. So it's not a matter of, you know, which technology do you prefer and you prefer most and all that. So up and above the commitment that is already there in the IRP to make sure that we minimize emissions, there are technical requirements and technical specifications that only certain technologies at this stage could or only a certain combination of technologies could actually um, uh, map out. There's another point that I should also indicate that um, um, there is an issue that is raised by some commentators that um, we should have allowed, um, the, the cheapest solution would have been for people to deploy batteries and for these batteries to be charged from, from, from the system. As I indicated, Chairperson, um, Currently, as we sit here, ESCOM's capacity um, is not able to meet um, the system demand. So if you only went out there and deployed battery storage and nothing else, you would have expected ESCOM that is already short of supply to help you charge the batteries, you know, which was going to be impossible. Um, as an example, the reason sometimes ESCOM load shed at night is because 
they need to use the power to actually pump water up the pump storage, which is basically a, a, a storage. So you, the, the, the proposal that um, you charge from the grid, which by the way, ESCOM was not in favor of, was that if you're going to put storage, the storage must come with its own charging uh, sort of uh, infrastructure. Otherwise you put more strain on the, on the, on the system. Chairperson, I'm not going to go through the points that are made here to accept that um, um, the, 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 the tariff is all-inclusive, and I'll touch on it again later. Um, I, I, I thought I should also touch on this issue around the 20-year PPA. I indicated when, when, when I started that um, we, we took two approaches where we had a short-term procurement, which ESCOM ran, where any bidder could have gone and bid through that ESCOM process. And then we ran this process where we said, in this process, we're looking at projects that are looking at a, a, a longer tenure because they will be able to provide us obviously with an affordable uh, unit uh, cost of electricity. This is, as I indicated again, this is nothing new. This is something that we do all the time. We do it with a, renewable energy IPP projects, we'll do it with bid window five that we issued last week. Um, but the point I wanted to make, sorry, can you go back? The point that I wanted to make is that the tenure of the PPA enables investors to recover the capital they have deployed as well as operating costs at a rate and pace that does not make it unaffordable to the buyer and therefore the end user. The example that one uses is that all of us sitting in this meeting we would like to buy our houses over five years and finish it. But the reason we buy them over 20 years, 30 years, is an issue of affordability. It's because you look at how much you're willing to pay or how much can you afford over a period of time. You know, so if I take all the projects, the preferred projects that we indicated later, earlier, if we probably ask them to give us a tariff on the basis of five years, I can confidently say that those prices, all of them, including those that are only deploying renewables, all of them will probably come at four or five times what they have or the, uh, the price that they had offered us. Uh, we can go to the next slide. I've um, Chair, the only point that one want to emphasize here, so the only point that one want to emphasize here in terms of the price um, is that um, the evaluation price that we indicated earlier is a weighted price, which is made up of uh, capacity and energy. And capacity is more like, um, as I'd indicated, ESCOM wanted these plants to be available for them to deploy them on merit order when, as and when they need them. And the other thing is that uh, for system stability, there was also a requirement for ESCOM that uh, these plants must be able to provide ancillary services. The, 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 the PPA provides, and members, the PPA provides for penalties for plant unavailability. So the seller, if available, will be paid for uh, capacity and energy uh, output delivered in response to the dispatch by, by, the, by, the, by, the, by the system operator. Next slide. Um, this point here, it's just uh, to explain that um, in terms of the, those technologies that um, utilizes um, fuel, which is gas. Um, the, 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 the process that will be followed in terms of determining and, and, and uh, managing the price of gas, it's a process that is there. It's the process um, 
in line with the Gas Act of 2000, um, and that process is managed by, by the regulator. Um, the key point that one wants to make is that um, unlike, you know, th there's been a, a view out there that um, because of the fact that you buy gas in the market and like petrol, it will fluctuate on a monthly basis, um, would like to clarify that in this case, in the electricity sector, um, we have what we call the regulatory clearance account um, and, and clearing account. And, and, and the regulatory clearing account is a mechanism that has been used over the years by the regulator to manage the ups and downs in terms of the ESCOM cost. As you may know, ESCOM is already using coal and at times they buy coal from the market. So they could have last year when they went to the regulator projected that coal will be at a certain price and coal comes at a different price. The adjustment is not made there and there. The adjustment is an annual adjustment um, under the RCA um, that uh, the regulator manages. So it's not going to be any different to what uh, ESCOM is currently doing. But the other point that one wants to emphasize around this point is that when, when one looks at the volume of energy that will come from um, the gas portion of the program, it is about 5%. So you can imagine 5% of the 95%, the likelihood of movement in the cost of this variable energy uh, is, is the likelihood that it will make the tariff move significantly, move to be significant is actually from our side, not necessarily uh, based on facts. Um, one, it, it, the, 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 the movement of the tariff from this uh, gas to power, who is a function of the volume that is coming from this and um, the volume of gas in terms of the bigger ESCOM general supply is very minimal. Next slide. Okay, um, in terms of the next steps, um, we, we announced the preferred bidders on the 18th and the next steps um, is that preferred bidders have to accept and they can reject um, whether they want to go to the next stage. Um, and um, to make sure that Chair, we, 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 we don't have um, chance takers, and this is something that we do as well with renewable programs, is that there, there, there are fees that are paid um, when the preferred bidder accept their preferred bidder status. Um, and, and there is also a preferred bidder guarantee that they have to provide. Um, to make sure that, um, and this is to ensure that um, they, uh, we are sure that this, this preferred bidders would not at some point just back off and say we can't do this thing and then walk away and then we sit with the risk of uh, lights going off because the project never materialized. The preferred bidders are required to reach financial flows by not later than end of July. And I think the, the, the key points that I want to make here is, I think the DG has already made some of this point is that there are several activities that um, these preferred bidders are supposed to complete before uh, financial flows, of which most are their responsibility. It's a risk that they must manage. And amongst others, these include them obtaining the necessary uh, environmental uh, authorizations uh, that they need for their projects. Uh, they include them obtaining all the necessary regulatory approvals and permits from the relevant entities, such as the National Ports Authority, 
South African Maritime Safety Authority and the, the regulator. Um, Chairperson and members, the RFP is very specific on the requirements that needs to be fulfilled prior to signing a power purchase agreement. And I think hence the DG indicated that at this stage, there is no contract that is signed with any uh, of these preferred bidders. They are preferred bidders. It's only after financial close that uh, uh, agreements can be signed because then you have a project, you have a bankable project uh, that, that you can commit to. So um, we also just emphasize that no PPA can be entered into uh, unless all requirements are set out in the RFP have been uh, uh, fulfilled. Uh, next slide. Chair, this is, this is the, last, next the, the last slide. And um, in conclusion, Chair, we just wanted to emphasize that um, the, the technical specification for this program was a requirement of the transmission system operator, which in our view, that's where the experts in terms of system operations sit. Uh, as I indicated, we may have different views in terms of what the problem is and how to solve it. But uh, uh, yeah, that's our view that uh, the system operator is more, uh, it's, it's better placed to dictate uh, what the requirements are. And um, I also indicated in the presentation that the technical specification by system operator makes room for system operator to access additional power at short notice should a need arise. And um, I don't have to over overemphasize this point. I already explained what happens when you have load shedding. The, I've already I explained the issue of the 20-year PPA tenure that um, it enables us to get a lower unit cost of electricity from greenfield projects. And um, this is a, 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 a requirement that is applicable to all preferred bidders that uh, we showed you earlier. Um, we used independent team of transaction advisors. So, um, the, 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 the outcome is an independent outcome that uh, comes to the department for approval. Um, and uh, what is also key is that the solutions or the technologies that are deployed by these preferred bidders are aligned to the long-term energy mix in the IRP. Um, these solutions um, are from solar, wind, gas, and battery storage. So these solutions are not a deviation or, or are not different to what the RP is calling for in the long term. Um, and therefore, Chair, it is our view as a department that um, um, this process um, and its outcome is based on a process that was open, transparent, and fair. Thank you. Thank you very much, DDG uh, Mbele. Uh, uh, Chair, that brings us to the end of our presentation. Uh, but I just want to emphasize this point, Chair, that uh, and honorable members, that uh, the primary objective of this uh, process that you are engaging in or the risk mitigation is to ensure that we alleviate the, you know, the challenge of electricity supply that we are currently having and also to reduce the extensive utilization of a diesel-based peaking electrical generators in the medium to long term. And this would include even, you know, as the DDG Mbele has indicated, uh, the work that we are currently busy doing on other uh, windows. And so I think, Chair, 
can also commit that uh, we are responding to the call that has been made that uh, we need to you know, assist in making sure that there is a security of uh, energy supply. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. Thank you, DG um, and your team. Uh, honorable members, your take on the presentation, let me check. I see the hand of Honorable Mailem. I see the hand of Honorable Kola, Honorable Lorema, Honorable Volmarans, and um, Honorable Masaule, Honorable Matokwe. Okay, it will be Honorable um, Mailem, then Honorable Kula, then Honorable uh, Lorima, Honorable Mashaule, Honorable uh, Matogwe, Honorable Malinga. Hey, oh, Mama, I'm trying to remember that I'm going Let me try and uh, recorrect this. It will be Honorable Mailem. Then Honorable Kula, then um, Honorable Matogwe. You forgot me, Chair. No, I'm trying to bring as many women in between. Bear with me, Honorable Lorima. Um, Then it will be Honorable Malinga, then it will be Honorable Lorema, then it will be Honorable uh, Volmarans, ne? or you have run away. Honorable Volmarans, if you're still here. And then Honorable Masaule. Yeah. Okay, Honorable Mailem. Thank you, Chairperson, and good morning to everybody. Chairperson, let me start with the letter from uh, the two organizations or the, 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 the South African faith community and then the various other organizations. Um, I think that it's very important that Parliament, which is a Parliament of the people, give due consideration to inputs from uh, various civil society bodies. And I do think that as this portfolio committee, it would be uh, extremely worthwhile to hear the concerns of those bodies. And maybe we could have a, a, a meeting at which they make a presentation to give us their input so that we can, we can consider it as part of our deliberations. Chairperson, I'm also very, very concerned that the DG was so dismissive of public hearings he called this a procurement process, and he said that unsuccessful bidders can challenge it through court. Now, while the IRP had public hearings, it cannot possibly be uh, right for the DG to tell Parliament how to conduct its business and who we should listen to and who we should not listen to. And that's absolutely unacceptable, and I do hope, Chairperson, you will call him into order for that. Chairperson, while I'm talking about the DG, can he please advise whether he played any part whatsoever in the decision-making process of selecting who the successful bidders were or are. The reason I ask this 
is because I'd like to know whether he thinks it's appropriate, considering he is a director and a shareholder in a company called VeraWorks, which was registered in October 2020, which has the exact same directors as the various powership subsidiaries, that he play any part whatsoever in the discussions to appoint bidders in the RMIPP. And I'd really like to know whether the DG has received any compensation for assisting with and or consulting on and or otherwise facilitating the PowerShips SA bid. So that's, that's all to the DG. Then to the DDG. Uh, DDG and Bella, you were very careful to differentiate between the emergency versus risk mitigation nature of this program. But back in December 2019, when we had stage six load shedding, President Ramaphosa used the risk mitigation uh, program as an example of the emergency procurement that would take place to alleviate load shedding. And he spoke about it in SONA 2020. And then Minister Mantashe backed this up in his response to SONA in the same year. Now, wouldn't you agree that that implied that the process would be undertaken speedily and that the... Uh, with the RFP only being made in August 2020, there was actually a distinct lack of urgency on the, on the part of the department. While we're talking about this, why was bid window five of the, REI, uh, of the REIPP not opened last year? It was approved uh, in the IRP. There didn't need to be a new nurse determination. All that had to happen was that it had to be opened. So why wasn't it opened? Um, with specific reference to the financial closure, which is required by end of July this year, I'd like to know, DDG, what is the likelihood that each of these uh, eight bidders will be able to meet that deadline? And specifically, with regard to the various regulatory approvals and permits. So let me ask you this. What environmental assessments have been undertaken and at what stage is the environmental uh, approval process? I understand that Transnet say that they have not yet been approached to provide a permit for the power ships. So how do they, uh, how do the power ships intend to obtain these permits for the harbors in which they will be moored if they haven't even begun consultation with Transnet and Fortnet? Have any of these projects applied to NURSA yet for a generating license? And if so, what is the status of those applications? We all know that NURSA applications take a long, long time and that, um, there are public participation processes and the like that have to, to be followed by NURSA. So what is the likelihood of just the NURSA component, which directly falls into your department? What is the likelihood of, of the NURSA permits and, and generation licenses being issued by the end of July? I'd then like to know what happens if these bidders don't secure these approvals and permits by July 2021? With regard to the power ships again, is it true that there is an exclusion zone around each power ship that other vessels and people are not, not permitted into? If so, what is the radius of that exclusion zone and how will that impact on the harbor operations where they are moored? I think, for example, of Kuka, which is a very narrow harbor. Any exclusion zone would effectively close that harbor to other traffic. Last week in the portfolio committee, I asked about the marriage, and I think I was misunderstood. What I was asking, and I'm going to ask it again here, is who bears the responsibility, and more importantly, the financial liability for any delays to other shippers 
arising, for example, from fuel transfers taking place in the harbour, which prevent them from offloading. Who bears the financial liability for any accidents or incidents which may arise in the harbours? We saw, for example, the effects of an explosion in Beirut Harbour. Who would carry the cost of such an incident or an oil spill or any other kind of accident or incident that might arise? I note that all the other bidders have built storage and uh, or backup supply into their projects. Now, why would the power ships, which are essentially a rather dirty solution, uh, various estimates put the amount of emissions at about 20 million tons per ship over the 20-year period, be preferable to the renewable solutions, which are far cleaner. And then finally, Chair, instead of a fixed or a predictable tariff for electricity, which the other bidders provide, the power ships are very dependent on the cost of LNG and the exchange rate, which will undoubtedly result in significant price increases over a 20-year timeline. I want to know, how is this possibly preferable for the South African consumers? We've already seen that the, the wholesale market price of LNG in South Africa is more than double the reference price that was used in the RMIPP bids. So how can it possibly be preferable that we go with a solution where the prices are so uh, unpredictable and uncontrollable out of our hands? They are dependent on outside supply, outside exchange rates. It's not something that we or the, the, the um, generator, the bidder, would have any control over. Chair, thank you. Those are my questions. Thank you, Honorable Mylan. Uh, please bear with me. I, I hope uh, I, I know you are in a hurry. No, I'm saying, Honorable Mylan, you bear with me. Um, I didn't want to stop you because I know I've got a network challenge on my side. I hope when I couldn't hear you, it was not because of you not being audible. Probably it would have been on my side, my network, this side. But if that is the case, I'm sure we will try and um, uh, uh, re-stage uh, properly if, if uh, it was a general problem on your side, if they didn't get the question. But uh, there were some where I lost you but uh, I assumed that maybe the problem is on my side because of the network situation. But uh, let me go to Honorable Kula. No, uh, thanks, uh, Chairperson. Chair? We hear you. No, uh, thanks, Chairperson. Uh, greetings to you. Greetings to colleagues in the portfolio committee. Greetings to the department led by our capable uh, DG uh, advocate Mukwein. Chair, I want to say firstly that I don't agree with the notion that when, the, when we differ in terms of approaches, we must then chastise one another. I don't think it's correct, such an approach, especially when some of the attacks borders on personalities. Two, Chair, is that we can take every little issue, every difference we have, that we must go to a public uh, hearing. 
that if we differ in terms of the electricity, the independent electricity operator bill, therefore that must be taken to a public hearing. Any issue where we differ on, it must be taken to a public hearing. And we are not dismissive of concerns raised by civil organizations. We will never be dismissive of such. We stand in support of them. We note the concerns that are raised. But Chair, I think we need to agree in this portfolio committee that we have been having a serious challenge of electricity shortage as a country. And that this program seeks to mitigate that particular challenge that we are confronted with. That while there might be misgivings about the program, the reality of the matter is that the program is much needed to alleviate the country from the electricity challenge that shortage that we are having. Uh, one of my questions, Chair, is that I want to ask the department, why did it take such a long time for the program to for the program to be promulgated and that must commence? Because we have been having this challenge uh, for for quite some time. So why did the program uh, take such a long time? The second question is that in the presentation is that uh, these preferred bidders uh, will have to comply with the environmental safety and licensing regulations of the country. What happens when some of these bidders fail to meet our own regulation as a country? And I must say that some of us in this portfolio committee uh, support this program because this program is aimed at closing a supply gap in the country that has resulted in periodic blackouts. And I think we need to turn a leaf of light in, in terms of these periodic blackouts because they are not assisting the economy to grow at the rate in which we want it to grow at. They are not assisting our people to be able to live their livelihood. So I, I think this program needs uh, to be supported, Chair. In terms of the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, the program is envisaged to cost more than $10.9 billion annually. So I, I, I want to ask the department whether are they in a position to confirm uh, such chair. And then a question is that in the past, uh, powership programs have proven effective at providing fast response, emergency response in terms of supply of electricity. And that in the past, the maximum period for these uh, powership programs usually take a period of 10 years. So our government intends to procure uh, such powerships for a process for a period of 20 years. I want to understand what does that say about the depth of the power crisis that the country is confronted with. Two, there is a decline in the price of renewable. What does that say about the long-term planning of the country that if you have got a program that in other areas would take 10 years and in our instance would take 20? What does that say about our long-term planning in light of the fact that we'll be faced uh, with a, a drop in the renewable prices in the not-so-distant future. Also, I think one of the uh, preferred bidders, uh, Kapua Ship, which has been identified, undertook uh, the same process in Lebanon. Though Lebanon has got a population of 6 million people, but the program was initially envisaged to take six years in 2012. 
it was later extended with three years. It says the total period of that project was nine years to supply uh, 404 megawatts of electricity. Why would, in, in our instance, the, pro the, 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 the same program with almost an equivalent take a period of 20 years? Thank you. Um, thank you very much, Chairperson. I would like to just extend my greetings to everyone in today's meeting uh, and welcome the report uh, from the DMRE. I also have quite a number of questions. Um, I will take all of them um, in no particular order, I, um, Chairperson. Um, so the first question that I have um, is specifically on the issue of um, IPPs um, and, and municipalities that um, have been given the, 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 or the regulations, in fact, that have been amended um, in terms of um, how municipalities can procure power from IPPs. Um, I understand that the, this, this uh, process is, is specifically on bidding, but if there's going to be a process where IPPs are also part of the program and uh, municipalities are given the power to uh, procure directly, um, we are currently sitting with IPPs that are producing uh, power to municipalities as we speak. And the general public is complaining about those IPPs um, that either they're expensive, either the electricity generation is not reliable, or that they also do not provide free electricity. Um, these are issues that were raised specifically in Tata, where I was last week, and also in Harib regions. So I just wanted to find out that in the new regulations and also in the contracts that government is going into, even with these new bidders, are we taking into consideration these very important um, issues that our people are raising um, about these IPPs? Um, and then the second question I have is about Kapawa as well. Um, I think Honorable Kula has covered some of it, especially about the 20-year uh, contract. I'm also trying to understand that if this is for emergency purposes, why are we procuring or why are we projecting that the emergency is going to be like attended to in a space of 20 years. Um, and also I understand that car power is, um, it, it produced the first power ship, uh, but also there are other companies as well that have uh, created uh, power ships since then. So I just wanted to find out if the department has sort of like uh, tried to investigate if there are other, the other countries that have been able to um, procure these power ships um, would also be able to maybe um, compete um, with car power. Um, and um, the third question that I have, or, and also if any of these countries are even of, the, if we don't have any African countries. And then number three, the question that I have is specifically on I understand that there's the bidding process and everything that is going on right now. And also there's, um, the, the bidding is open to everyone. But I also understand that the education programs that the department has also uh, started in collaboration with um, the Department of Higher Education and also institutions of higher learning. I also understand that um, students, especially when they do their post-grad, especially masters and their PhDs, 
they're expected to work on research papers. And some of the research papers that these uh, students work on, they do answer some of these questions that South Africa is, um, is facing. So I just wanted to find out, is there an effort uh, from the department to actually liaise with institutions of higher learning to check whether or not there there isn't existing research or there aren't any research papers from students in particular that can actually assist in the energy crisis in South Africa. And then also, I just wanted to find out um, in this 20 year contract that we will be going into what is the projected um, cost because this is cost that will be incurred not only by this um, parliament, but it will be incurred by um, the parliaments that are to follow and the citizens of South Africa as well. So I think it's important that we know what are the projected costs. Um, and then the other question that I have, um, I think it's uh, the DG that speaks that um, at this point in time, um, and I think it's in relation to the letters as well, that at this point in time, no contracts have been entered into um, and he's, he's, he's raised a, a number of um, issues which I feel are very um, unsettling um, in the sense that the department has already made an announcement that we have these successful bidders, these are their names, and therefore it creates an impression that everything is up to date. But if we're now told that these companies must still go and do EIAs, and they must still go and check their licensing and all these things, which therefore means that how sure are we that all these eight companies will actually um, will actually be able to, 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 to meet the requirements that are there? And then I also do not think that it is fair for us to dismiss the requirements for the letters or the content in the letters um, on the basis that this is just a procurement process. The reality is that whenever any project is undertaken, it is required that there must be EIAs that are, that are taken as well. And these EIAs and the outcomes of the EIAs must inform government. I know it is not happening in a lot of places, but it is supposed to be like that, that the outcomes of EIAs, EIAs must also then um, be crucial in, in assisting the government in terms of which projects they, they undertake. And, um, EIAs actually do uh, require that there must be public participation. They do require as well that there must be uh, impact assessment and mitigation, uh, especially when it comes to the environment. I think uh, some of us who are in Cape Town or who are, uh, have been around the CPD currently we understand that, of course, the, the air quality is affected by the fires. But the reality is that if we do not at this point in time as this parliament or as government actually take a decision that we must look into renewable energy and we must move away from any um, sources of energy that are going to be pollution, this is going to be the live reality of our people going forward because we really need to now start looking into renewable energy. Um, and then another question that, or another issue that I have um, it was mentioned by the, by the speaker um, or by the president, I think the DDG, that um, the presentation, it says that one job um, is, means that one person will be employed for one year. But I don't know how that makes sense, especially if you are going to contracts that are of 20 years. 
and how is it sustainable or how are we at this day in time still actually projecting for one-year jobs instead of sustainable jobs that are going to sustain families. Um, another question that I have as well is in the issue of contracts that we will be entering into. Um, what are the clauses that are there that will ensure that these companies are financially responsible in the event that they do not deliver? Because there is a trend um, currently where people actually go, they bid, they win bidding, they do minimal work, and then after that, they apply for liquidation and work is not being done. So in the contracts, and in most cases, when we ask this, we're told, no, it was not in the contract. So in the contracts that are being drawn up by the department right now, what are the clauses that are there that are actually going to um, protect us as, as the country, um, especially from... Um, manipulative companies, if I may put it that way. And then uh, one last question. Um, I think we're also told that um, we are depending on fuel-based um, power generation. And I think we, we had a meeting recently where we were discussing specifically how uh, the future of our refineries or just the refinery industry in South Africa is very uncertain. Um, and that conversation on its own, we left it hanging and there's so much that we needed um, to, to cover on. So I'm trying to understand how is it that we're still investigate, uh, investing uh, on fuel-based um, technologies, especially if there's also that issue right now that we are discussing where refineries or the refinery industry um, is, is, is very, um, I would say, unstable, if I may put it that way, or there's a lot of uncertainty according to it. So what guarantee do we have that we will have supply of this gas, we will have supply of all this fuel that we will need to actually drive these technologies? Um, thank you very much, Chairperson. Honorable Malinga. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Can I not open my video due to my unstable network, Chair? Greetings to yourself, my colleagues in the portfolio committee. Uh, the department is led by Advocate Mkwena and our guests and our table staff and media personnel. Chairperson, let me first welcome the presentation by the department, also the correspondences that you've just uh, asked uh, Mr. Kotsier to, to put up for us. Chairperson, I would like to believe that uh, what DDG Mbele or DG explained in terms of the processes of the RMI 4 pool P, uh, when they, I, I'd like to believe that all the consultation was done, given the fact that they, they mentioned NEDLEC, where NEDLEC all stakeholders uh, sit and discuss issues that might affect the country chair. Also, the ministerial determination chair, the two objectives that are there to ensure that we have the supply of energy in the country through all sources of technology. I think that also includes gas chair. Chairperson, some of the questions have been taken by both Honorable Matogwe and Honorable Gula in terms of the 20-year term vis-a-vis -vis the Lebanon for, for six years. Chairperson, I, I, I just want to check uh, whether ESCOM is ready for these um, mixes given its uh, current state, Chair. 
because from time to time I would I, I saw in the presentation that did Jim Bailey made that ESCOM advised, ESCOM advised. Are they ready, Chair? Because from time to time you'll say ESCOM will say no, they shouldn't use the battery because the battery is going to drain the current uh, energy that they have. Um, I'm worried, Chair, with the state of, of ESCOM, whether they are ready to accept this into their grid. Uh, and also on the letters, Chair, I saw that he, the, 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 the civil society says something about God. If if I read, I still remember my Bible very well, Chair. God said we should dominate over the earth. Uh, I don't think we are, the department is going out of its way in dominating, in accessing what is put there. Uh, uh, on earth by 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 God, Chair Jefferson. I let me let me let me welcome the presentation and hope that uh, the eight successful bidders will will be intensely monitored by the department because I in the slide that DDG Mbele said said the 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 bidders are the ones who should ensure that they, they adhere to the environment regulations. I don't think that is correct here. There should be somebody who monitors the bidders that they don't temper with the regulate environmental regulations of the country while doing this work. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Honorable Lorima. Thanks, Mr. Chair. I share my colleagues' unease with the reluctance of the DG and DDG to have more public participation. Yes, there was public participation in the IRP process, but that was in the overarching process. There was no public participation in the process of signing a 20-year contract with car powerships. This is a huge project, which will have a huge impact on the country's economy for many years. And this government doesn't have a very good record of huge electricity acquisition projects. You can mention Kusile and Badupi. They were huge projects. They amounted to grand theft schemes. If this car powership deal is as good as we are hearing, then it should stand up to public scrutiny. If you don't want public scrutiny, we have to ask why not. Secondly, with regard to the timelines here. We're told about time pressure. Well, people have been talking about our over-reliance on diesel for 10 years. So we have to ask why it's taken until now for gas to suddenly become urgent. And one wonders whether that has to do with who was involved in diesel procurement. Um, I hear that you say that the spiking gas prices won't affect electricity prices, DDG, because it's such a small part of the mix. Really, you may believe that. I can tell you I don't. Now, when it comes to the decision-making process on this contract, and again, I'm specifically talking, or I'm mainly talking about the COP powership contract. If the DG has a conflict of interest, then he shouldn't be here. Aside from that, I want to ask how much of this decision-making process was political and how much was, as, how much was administrative by the department? And... I want an answer to a specific question there. Which of the department's political principles were involved in the decision-making process? So please tell us that. 
when it comes to local partners, I'm unsure of the concept here. What value are the local partners adding? Does the price of electricity that we will be paying rise? Is it, be, is it now going to be cheaper because of local participation or more expensive? Now, the 20-year duration of the contract, uh, colleagues of mine have raised serious questions about this. It's not the same as buying a house with a bond. Because after you've paid off your bond, you owe the house, you own the house. This is this is a lease deal. So after this 20-year contract, those ships will just sail away. So that's that's really an inappropriate comparison. Um, I think it's very important to see what other countries are paying. Um, this company is serving some of the poorest countries in the world. I find it difficult to believe that um, that is very, very expensive electricity. Um, that will do for now, I think. Thank you. Honorable Valmarans. Uh, Thank you, thank you very much, Chair. And uh, let me convey my greetings to um, all the members on the platform and also to, to the department. Uh, Chair, I, I, I want to first um, welcome the, this report that gives us a, a heads up on what has transpired, where we are, and um, in which direction we are tentatively moving. I, I have been sufficiently covered by some of my colleagues um, in the numerous concerns uh, that, that we have had. Now, Chair, uh, in, in, having said that, I would, I would um, go directly into what uh, the presentation as per the slides were, were, were telling us. And um, start by slide six. On slide six, we've got um, a portion that deals with uh, transaction advisors or consultants. And I see on the blocks there, you have uh, two names um, uh, seem to appear on, on, on those um, uh, blocks. Uh, I, I'm interested to find out whether these are JVs and, uh, and if they are not, or they are, what criteria uh, might have been used in as far as either the JVs or the names that we see there um, um, is concerned, how, what criteria was actually used there. I would move um, on, the, on the same, um, on slide eight, Chairperson. Um, that slide eight, uh, I think that's the slide that deals with um, the nine provinces, the map, but it has got all the provinces, Chairperson, except the Gauteng province. Um, so so I, I don't know, is it deliberate or um, uh, what happens there? But when you look at the project results on the same map, it seems to exclude the other four provinces. Uh, I'm not sure whether I'm correct in terms of, of that exclusion um, and what might be the reason of uh, the other provinces not being part and parcel uh, in terms of this program. Uh, what, does the, what does it have as an impact on job creations um, in as far as the other provinces that are not uh, part and parcel of that program? 
uh, you would remember that uh, chairperson in some areas, you you would actually be barred uh, from having to participate uh, from another province to another province. How are they going to handle, how is the DMRE going to handle uh, such an issue if there's uh, some exclusion from, from other provinces? What is the impact of the SMME development across, meaning on those provinces where I see the program would be uh, uh, done, uh, and the other provinces where uh, those provinces, where the programs won't be done? Uh, would, would they be uh, bystanders um, in a, a massive program that is uh, aimed at um, eradicating or alleviating the problems of electricity, but at the same time, also being part and parcel of the job creation, initi uh, creation initi uh, initiatives. Uh, the transformation of um, uh, the landscape in as far as uh, the economy of scales is concerned. Um, uh, what, what, what is the take of the department in as far as that is concerned, uh, given the reasons that I've given of uh, the, uh, the nine provinces? Now, in this program of the uh, IPPP, where does the nuclear fit in? You, you know, in, in the IRP 2019, um, we have it as part and parcel of the long-term uh, energy mix. And I've not had um, um, a, a word with regards to where does it fit in within this program that we are currently discussing. Um, Chairperson, another point is um, there will be EIAs done as per the, uh, the, the presentation. Uh, I think there will also be management plans uh, with regards to the environment um, as these programs proceed. But now, just like in the mining and in the energy sector or environment, what are the rehabilitation plans? Maybe long after these programs have been completed, or as they move along, what are the rehabilitation plans? What are the programs for rehabilitations? Uh, have they been part and parcel of the consideration um, uh, within this program? And lastly, Chen, I, I, I see that we had 11 bidders which were shortlisted. And out of the 11, uh, the, there are eight which are preferred, but there are these other three which have been sort of ring fenced um, uh, subject to, I think, financials. Um, can we have uh, an elaboration on the dynamics around the eight versus the 11? And what happens with the other three? Are they going to come on board later? And at, 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 at what um, conditions uh, are they? I think for now, Chairperson, uh, I, would, I would pause here. Thanks. Honorable Langa. Uh, uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and greetings to you, Chairperson of the uh, DMRA Portfolio Committee, uh, Portfolio Committee members, uh, officials of uh, DMRE led by uh, DG Advo Advocate Mguena, mm -hmm and uh, parliament uh, support staff. Um, um, 
my colleagues have covered me on some of the questions that I had. Uh, I, however, have two uh, just clarity seeking uh, questions. Uh, one is on the process. Uh, on the slide, it reflected that uh, there is a request for, propo for proposals transaction advisors uh, and bids evaluation transaction advisors. Maybe just for clarity uh, through you, Chairperson. Uh, any specific reason why a WSP Group Africa and Amanda Engineering, who reflect as technical advisors, and Weber Wenzel, who reflect as legal advisors, they wear two hats uh, as advisors on both of uh, these advisory uh, platforms. Uh, my concern will be around influence, uh, uh, hence uh, uh, this question, HFC. And uh, the second one is on the tenure, the 20 year tenure. Um, okay, what happens if the uh, appointed service provider fails to deliver uh, within uh, that period? Shouldn't we have started on a shorter period, then review, uh, then check if uh, uh, the appointed service provider meets targets, uh, then renew uh, the, the contract uh, based on delivery? Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, <clears throat> Chairperson. Greetings to you. Greetings to my colleagues. Greetings to the department led by Advocate Mukwena. And greetings to everybody who has logged in. So I want to start with the letter uh, that we, we have received. Uh, at night, one letter that we received at night and the other that was read to us now uh, that we have not received uh, as members of parliament. Chair, I want to, 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 to warn that uh, <clears throat> we, we, we must separate two issues, raising concerns, genuine concerns by the civil society and lobbying the Portfolio Committee on Mineral Resources and Energy. And I'm raising this because, Chair, this announcement of these eight companies was made on the 8th of March, 2021. Today is the 20th, it's a month, that it is public knowledge that the eight companies were selected as preferred bidders. We receive the letters because we're going to have a meeting. What, what, what is the intention there? Is it for us to genuinely be seized with the issues beforehand so that we're able to uh, uh, discuss properly in a portfolio committee? Or it's to try and uh, push us to a particular direction? I don't know what the intention is. Uh, and and I'm, I get worried uh, when uh, such things happen. If you are a a, a genuine civil society, immediately the, 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 announcement, the announcement was made and you don't agree with. 
you know the channels that you should be following, not wait for a meeting to be scheduled. In fact, the letter that you write may as well inform why the portfolio committee should have a reason to have a meeting in this matter. Not when we have scheduled a matter for other things. You write a letter yesterday and we have to, to, to divert from uh, what we were, we, were, we were seized with. Chair, the second warning is that, uh, you see, we may dismiss uh, what the, the, the Director General is saying, that uh, this is a procurement matter. And uh, I don't think it's proper for the Portfolio Committee to be mediating around procurement uh, matters. Let me give you an example. There are eight companies here, uh, not one. And if you say the uh, 20-year project on car power ship is too long and you don't talk about others, you are inviting the Parliament of the Republic of South Africa to say, no, this one must not have 20 years. This one must have five years. That is mediating and entering in procurement processes. And I don't think we're about that. Chair, the, the first point I want to raise on the presentation uh, is exactly what uh, Honorable Volmarans has raised on the map. Uh, 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 there are provinces that are not touched by the project. And I'm raising this on a different, a bit different uh, way the, the Honorable Volmarans has raised that. Uh, you see, Chair, it is reality that in South Africa, when you speak about local content, it is interpreted differently by different people. And we have seen that happening. Now, if you say, uh, for instance, you are going to put solar PV in, uh, in, 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 in DR, and you say there will be 50% local content. People from DR understand local content to mean people from DR, meaning the people in Limpopo, in KwaZulu-Natal, in Pumalanga, will not be able to participate on a national project. Because this, are nas- this is a national project. It's not a, a, a regional uh, uh, project uh, somewhere in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in DR or anywhere. I'm making an example. And we have seen that, Chair, when it comes to Petro SA as an example. People from Mosul Bay think that Petro SA is a regional uh, 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 company, while, while it's a national company. And when it comes to local participation in terms of SMMEs and all of that, you are told that, no, it's local. Now, I want the department in this instance to say, when we speak about an international company and we say there will be 50% local content, what do we mean? And separate to that, when a local company, meaning a South African company, is awarded this project and it has to give 50% of local content, what does it mean? So that we don't send ambiguous meeting uh, 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 messages to our people and they start fighting about 
what local content mean in this regard. Further explanation needs to be made in this regard, uh, Chair. The, the DDG, and this is my last point, uh, uh, Chair, because other things have been covered by uh, my colleagues. The DDG mentioned something in uh, one bullet point that speaks of dispatchable and non-dispatchable. And he says, when the, you, you deal with solar PV, you give it a 50% chance uh, for power generation in a year. 50% chance. And that is because you may wake up today, there is no sun to generate uh, energy from solar. Then wind kicks in. And if there is no wind and sun, the the gas and the the battery uh, kicks in. Which means in my view, and I would want to hear the view of the department, that it means solar and wind are not entirely reliable sources of energy in the entire mix. Would they agree with that? Uh, 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 Because you can't contract something that must uh, intervene on load shedding and immediately give it, I don't know, I know it's natural that you can't control it, but you give it 50% chance of power generation in a year. Is that why we're contracting uh, 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 solar and wind? Is that the the intention? Because everywhere you go, you'll be told that uh, uh, we we must move towards a more reliable uh, energy source. Uh, and, and, And solar and wind, are mentioned in that respect. What is the view of the department there? Thank you very much, Chair. Okay, thank you, honorable members. Um, I will come later. DG, uh, can you respond both on the questions that have been asked, but also you can also give clarity on the comments that uh, have been made by members. I will come later uh, on some of the issues that uh, relates to the committee. Did uh, you? Yes, sorry, Chair. I had also raised a hand. I don't know whether you recognize me. Oh, Prof. I didn't see your hand. I don't want to lie. Oh, Sorry, sir. Continue, Prof. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. I also would like to welcome the report. Uh, Load shedding is a very serious matter in the country, and we always welcome means to try and reduce it. Uh, I'm grateful to my colleagues who have covered me as far as questions are concerned. Maybe uh, I'll ask a few clarity-seeking questions. A number of colleagues who spoke before me 
have uh, also hinted on the selection of bidders. It also concerns me that we have got two projects in Northern Cape, but none in other provinces in the north of this country. Uh, none in Free State, none in Gauteng, none in Limpopo, none in Pumalanga. So one wants to know what criteria was used because um, the Northern Cape, as far as economy is concerned, many activities, economic activities happen away from Northern Cape. Uh, the second question, Chair, is about the length of this arrangement. I would like to know whether we're talking about a, a temporary or a permanent arrangement because at sometimes in the presentation we're told about five-year term then we're also told about 20-year contracts. It's concerning, and I'm also concerned about the number of bidders that have been selected. The presentation said 17 uh, bidders were recommendable, but only eight have been chosen and the question is whether eight is enough to cover us on this very concerning issue of load shedding, especially when we are told that finances are involved and we're also informed that there are possibilities for the contractors to walk away from this contract. Uh, in the immediate past, in the recent past, the media has been flooding us with complaints from stakeholders such as COSATU that they were not considered when the restructuring of ESCOM was considered. And one may now ask regarding the present arrangement whether stakeholder, relevant stakeholders have been consulted or informed about this project, especially Kosatu. Then, uh, perhaps, Chair, I should stop there. Thank you very much. Okay, DJ. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair and um, Honorable Members. Uh, we would like to welcome the questions and the comments uh, from uh, Honorable Members. I will first start with the DTG together with our team uh, to respond to the questions. Then I'll come at the end to, to wrap up and also to deal with some of the comments that have been made by Honorable Members. 
Thank you very much. Over to you, Didi Jimbele. No, thank you, DG. Um, DG, I will, I've tried to, and Chair, I've tried to take notes of the many questions. Um, hopefully, in my response, I won't leave others, but those that I skip, um, I'm hoping, Chair, you will then um, um, maybe allow members to, to raise them again. But then, in, and then I also want to indicate that um, there's also uh, the head of the IPP office uh, chair in the meeting who will um, take some of the questions that I will leave out, but I will let him come in once I've answered. I'll try and go through the list as I take in the questions down, chair. The, the, the first question, chair, was around the, the fact that um, there were pronouncements by the president that we need to undertake agent procurement. And um, why was there no sense of agency chair. I think one must start first by indicating that that, um, putting together a program of this nature involves a number of stakeholders. And key to this program is ESCOM, uh, chairperson and honorable members. Um, You will understand that what we procure, ESCOM is the buyer. And um, without ESCOM playing the role of the buyer, there is no procurement. So a lot of the time um, was actually spent uh, in discussions with ESCOM because um, the ESCOM's challenges have changed since the last time we undertook a procurement process. And so we went through an extensive process where ESCOM wanted um, the risk allocation between the IPPs and ESCOM to be re-looked at and for certain adjustments to be to be made chairperson. That, that was the first part that took a lot of time, but also extensive discussions happened when we were discussing the technical requirements for the program with, with, with ESCOM system operator. But at the same time, chairperson, we could not issue a determination, apologies, we could not issue a RFP before concurrence of the determination by the regulator. Um, the determination, the concurrence to the determination was only issued by the regulator on the 7th of, around early in July. And we gazetted it, um, uh, was, apologies, was only issued in May. And uh, the process of finalizing the RFP in engagements with ESCOM and National Treasury was only concluded around July. And the RFP was issued in August uh, 2020. And um, that obviously we needed to give bidders enough time. We initially had a closing date for bids of uh, end of November and following a lot of uh, requests from potential bidders, that timeline was extended to um, uh, 22nd of December. So Chairperson, um, I was just trying to indicate there that um, there was a sense of agency from the department point of view, but unfortunately there are stakeholders that needs to be engaged, that needs to be um, taken over the line. Otherwise there is no procurement program. And basically that's what took um, a, a lot of the time. Similarly with uh, Bitwindow 5, you will be aware that we initially had announced that uh, we wanted to go out um, we on the 18th, uh, unfortunately, and that announcement was in anticipation of 
certain uh, 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 exemptions granted by other department. And um, when they reviewed and they raised issues, there were delays. So, so the point that I'm emphasizing here is that uh, this process is a function of uh, multiple stakeholders and um, it's not entirely uh, dependent on the department making a decision today and running. It's until you have all the stakeholders on board, you don't have a program. And that's why sometimes it takes a bit of time. And it takes a bit of time because of the situation where we find ourselves. ESCOM is not in the same position it was a few years back when we did a renewable energy program bit window one up to bit window three. I think we started seeing the challenges when we started getting to bit window four. Um, there was another question chair around the, um, the, 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 what is the likelihood that these bidders will meet all the, the, the requirements chair. Chairperson, we, while we, we try and facilitate um, with other entities to make sure that the bidders um, um, are assisted with speed, we are very careful to prescribe because there are regulatory processes that those entities have to undertake. So we do have engagements with uh, various parties that uh, these projects depend on in terms of authorizations, but um, those engagements are not prescriptive because we understand that they have independent processes that they have to to undertake. So to the extent of engaging with them about the agency to assist in processing um, uh, applications for permits and all that, we do that. But um, the outcome of that process is completely obviously uh, with um, those agencies or those those um, those uh, the departments, um, including we do engage. We have had engagements with Transnet, um, National Ports Authority, the uh, Marine Safety Authority, um, even with NESA. So there are engagements that are ongoing, but I think we obviously having engagements with understanding that those are independent processes and um, the outcome is dependent on the bidders meeting the requirements of that process. And hence we were saying that the risk for compliance is solely with the bidders. The question was, what happens if the bidders don't reach financial close? I did touch on this issue in the presentation where I indicated that uh, the day we announced preferred bidders, preferred bidders had some time to accept or reject the offer as a preferred bidder. And part of them accepting is that um, there is some non-refundable fee that they have to pay. And they also have to uh, provide the department with a, a preferred bidder guarantee. And that is a way of ensuring that um, they see the entire process to the end. And this is a significant uh, amount of money. I think the non-refundable fee is about 25,000 rand per megawatt. You can do the calculations and you'll understand that uh, for some of these projects, um, how much um, it will cost if you do say that you'll go ahead with the project and then you you pull back. So in a way, one can say that there are penalties and there is, um, there is pressure on, on, on these bidders to make sure that the, the, the projects uh, are, 
are done to to the extent that um, these bidders had have have um, um, have committed. I think I will leave the issue on the details, technical details around the harbor and the operations to to Bernard. Um, but I'm also aware that um, I mean this is a highly technical issue. The, I mean, for example, we already having discussions with the uh, South African Maritime Safety. Um, you know, they are looking at these issues, the applications that these bidders, uh, especially the ones that want to put uh, the ships and all, they have to undergo. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to try and be an expert and, and give the answers here, um, but there are processes that have to be followed and there are authorizations that will have to be uh, obtained by this, 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 um, these bidders for them to be able to do what they need to do around the, the ports. There was a question around the, the, the issue of uh, cost and the cost of LNG and, and, um, I, and, and how is it preferable to, to, to compare to some of the renewable projects. I think one has already explained um, the issue of flexibility and maybe I must, I must here touch and clarify the, the point around dispatch and non-dispatch um, that was raised by Honorable Marshall. The point I was making with the dispatch, non-dispatch, I was saying, what I was explaining is that renewable energy is considered not dispatchable, meaning there is some level of predictability because you can look at the weather, you will know when the sun would not shine, when the sun would shine, you can work around that predictability. But what you can do is you cannot switch them on and off as you like, you know, to manage your system, which is different with um, other technologies like gas. You can put it on and off when you want it. And the issue around the 50% that I was referring to, for example, on the dispatch, normally the dispatchable plant, for it to make business sense, you have to give them what you call minimum dispatch. Right, so you have to say to them, I will dispatch you or I will allow you to run minimum so much of the time and the remaining time. So what I was explaining is that the current arrangement is that these gas engines or gas, this gas, the gas in the power plants will be dispatched minimum. You are guaranteed that you'll be used minimum 50%, you know, in the, in the year. And then the other 50%, the utility will, or the system operator will decide on the basis of the need that they see. But even then, they will dispatch the cheapest plant first, not necessarily any plant that is available on the grid. So that is the point that I was making around the issue, the differentiate the difference between dispatch and, and non-dispatch. The other point that maybe I should touch on here is the issue around the comparison with other projects elsewhere, is that the price that you pay is also a function of the volumes that you take. For example, if you take gas at peaking, you know, it means that for all that infrastructure, you are going to take them for a short period of time. If you look at our peaking plants, they are deployed at about 60%, 6%. So effectively, you, the, 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 the investor will try and recoup some of the capital investment by making sure that it's included in the price. 
So when you have it as a picking plant, that's why the diesel plant, not just because of the price of diesel, but the rate at which you deploy them will be slightly expensive. So I think the, the, the comparison in terms of the price with other countries, one will have to look at. I can tell you that um, here we're saying, we'll, um, ESCOM is saying we'll deploy those between 5 a.m. and 9 p.m. If you go to the, some of the countries that have been referred to, you'll find that those things are run as base load, which is like 24 hours. So obviously you will know what happens there. The harder you run them, obviously, um, the, the less you can drop the price because of the volumes that you, you push into Russia. And then um, I think there was, um, I've, I've already answered the question around why did it take so long? Um, I've already answered the question around what happens when these bidders uh, don't obviously pass the line. There is, there is a penalty that they are all aware of. And prior to bidding, it was already in the specification. They would have known that um, they needed to anticipate all the risks that um, of uh, within relation to the hurdles they will have to 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 cross or to pass um, to be able to get this these projects online. They have responded to 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 the one about um, the the. I think I had already touched on why you do a shorter PPA. Uh, sorry, why you would do a longer PPA, I explained it, that it's a function of affordability. Um, you can do, there's nothing that stops you from going to all these projects and saying to them, um, I will take you for five years. And I think maybe I should at this point also touch on the point that was made again by Honorable Mashaule when he, he, he touched on the fact that you, you, had a, you, you had here a process, a open bidding process, where the requirements were put out and they were equally put out to everybody else. Unfortunately, the procurement process doesn't allow you that after people have bid, then you change your mind and then you can pick and choose suddenly that you, I want to get into this arrangement with you. You, because I don't like you, I can get into this arrangement with you. Unfortunately, the, the only way you can manage that is if you had a sense upfront as to who is going to bid then you can tailor make the RFP to be able to manage that other person. Unfortunately, where we're sitting, um, the RFP that was put together was put together on the basis that those who will be will be uh, uh, measured on the same basis. So it, it, it was not hardwired um, in any way um, to be able to manage certain um, uh, projects than, than, than others. Um, and there was a point around um, what does all this say about long-term planning? Um, as I'd indicated, our long-term plan is the RF, is the IRP. And the IRP has already, um, as I indicated when you start in the presentation, that um, this procurement was identified and was called for in the IRP as part of resolving our energy issues going forward. Uh, also in the presentation indicated that um, the energy that is procured through this project is uh, in line with um, what is in the IRP. Um, if you look at the energy or the technologies used, gas, uh, PV, uh, wind, and battery storage, it's in line with what we see as the, as the plan going into, into the future. I must also at this point indicate that there was a question around where does um, nuclear uh, fit in. I think the 
IRP is very clear, obviously, as part of this process was to procure power that can come online in the shortest possible time, uh, which we mentioned uh, as 12 to 18 months. Fortunately, nuclear projects take much longer. Um, The IRP does uh, uh, indicate that uh, preparations uh, for nuclear must happen, and there is a process that... uh, colleagues in the department are undertaking in terms of nuclear. But um, unfortunately, there was no project uh, that bid into this risk mitigation uh, as a nuclear project into, 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 into help assist in the load shedding in the immediate uh, to long term. The, um, there was a point around um, when we do, I think it was from Honorable Madoko, when, um, when we do this IPPs and it was in relation to what happens in municipalities. Um, in terms of this program, the program will sell, it's the buyer for this energy is ESCOM. And yes, um, ESCOM in terms of its applications for tariffs to the regulator does take into account um, the implications on the, on the poor that's why, um, and, and, and that's why there are things like the free basic uh, electricity because the poor or the residents trade with ESCOM or municipalities in their respective areas. And there's, that's why there's also the inland block tariff to make sure that um, those who can afford would pay a little bit more compared to those that cannot afford. So um, the procurement, even though it does not directly deal with that, the distributors that ultimately sell to the consumers um, do take uh, those issues um, into into account. Um, I've I've explained. Um, I've I I at the beginning of the presentation I explained um, the issue around um, this was this was not emergency power. What we were doing it was in and I would call it. It's emergency procurement, which I'll call it agent procurement, that we were trying to undertake. It was not trying to procure emergency power, which is different. You know, so the agency was the agency in the procurement um, process. It was not the emergency in a sense that uh, the power itself is, is an emergency. As I've indicated, the emergency power would be more in the short term, which is a process that ESCOM undertook. The the, the RMI PPPP um, was meant to unlock capacity in the 12 to 18 months that required um, uh, some sort of long-term um, arrangement. Um, Chair, I'm just trying to go down uh, the questions and see the, the ones that I've not uh, responded to. Um, there was a point around um, um, uh, is there an effort by the DMRE to see if there is research? Yes, there, there is. Um, through some of our international partners, um, there are programs that include students. Uh, there are studies that have been done, even through ESCOM, that we every now and then look at and consider that deal with some of the current challenges that we have in the, in the electricity space. There was a question about who incurs the cost. Um, the setup in the electricity space is that it's such that the user pays. Um, every generation that ESCOM buys or ESCOM generates and transmits to the users, the user pays. Um, there is no money from the fiscals that goes into this procurement process. Um, 
um, and and I think that's one point one needed to 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 clarify as well. And and the bidders are not paid for anything; they only paid for the energy that is produced. So if there is no energy that is produced, there is no payment to the bidder. Um, and then there was a point around, was the announcement uh, not premature? Um, no, the announcement by the minister was not premature. It is part of the process. It's generally a two-stage process. It's the same process that we ran with the renewable IPPs, where you first announce the bidders. Now that they know that they are preferred bidders, they go and finalize with their funders, their banks, everything that they need to finalize before the contracts are signed. You know, um, it is the in the design of the program that it runs like that, um, that um, the, 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 the preferred bidders will have to go and do some work. And generally that work, um, we give them about four months, hence the timeline uh, of, um, of July. Um, the, okay, I've dealt with the, what happens if the companies, um, um, don't uh, deliver, I've already said, um, for them to accept preferred bidder status, there is a commitment, financial commitment they make. And if they don't uh, see through, they will obviously um, lose on that. Question um, from Honorable Malinga around, is ESCOM ready for this power? As I indicated, uh, part of the initial phase of these processes, um, we spend it uh, in extensive engagements with ESCOM. They uh, have had sight of the RFP. They had sight and had to approve the PPA, which is the contract that these bidders will enter into uh, with ESCOM uh, at the end of the process. So ESCOM, uh, I would say, is ready because they have been part of the process for us to get to this point, yes, they may they are not involved in deciding who goes, who does not go, but uh, they in the preparatory stages, and um, the communication has also been sent to them insofar as the preferred bidders are, are concerned. Um, and then there was a point from Honorable Lorima around um, the the that. Um, that uh, it is prudent that there is a public process in the signing of the contract. I think we, we did mention that there, there are no contracts that have been signed. We have announced preferred bidders and preferred bidders um, have now the opportunity to go and finalize everything that they need to finalize, including environmental uh, authorizations and all that. And I also have to mention, Chair, I think in terms of public participation, I think there the, are the a number of issues that were raised in the letters which pertains to uh, environmental issues. That environmental process does provide for public input. And one would want to believe that if there are concerns about the environment, um, that would be the appropriate platform for these issues to be, to be, to be, to be tabled. And one would believe that the Department of Environmental Affairs will definitely consider those issues in the decision that they have to make around the environmental authorizations around these projects. And that is one, but there may be other processes as well that um, they want to be part of. But I think it's not like um, the, the decision is final. The issues that are raised can be directed to the relevant department that, is, that are even better placed 
to make a call if this is an environmental risk or not. Um, timeline, why has it become urgent now? I think um, uh, the issue of, of, of diesel, it has become urgent now because we're having uh, load shedding. Um, ESCOM has become clear that they do not see themselves getting out of um, this challenge anytime soon. So it is therefore urgent that uh, we must deal with, 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 with load shedding. Um, I, I, I will touch on this one, but I think DG will amplify. I think we explained the process that is followed in terms of procurement because there was the question around how much of the process was political. This is an administrative process. The process starts at the IPP office. It comes into the department as part of the uh, supply chain processes and um, it gets approved at the level of the DG. So the, 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 there is no uh, ministerial involvement in the process of procurement, like in any procurement that happens in the, in the, in the department. But I guess DG can amplify on, on that. Um, Honorable Volmarans asked around the, uh, the, T, the transaction advisors uh, that are these JVs or not. Um, Mr. Magoro, the head of the IPP office will amplify on this point as well, but um, just to respond that um, over the course of the pro of the of the of the IPP pros projects, starting with renewables, um, the department took a deliberate decision to say that we cannot have the same uh, big companies uh, providing advisory, and they have obviously the advantage because they they have international partners that they have worked with on similar projects internationally. So that we then made a decision as a department that we need to start introducing uh, local players and the best way for them uh, to get the skills is to pair them. So we have two, through the DBSA, we've got two panels um, of service providers and um, we had a, 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 we also have a panel of emerging firms and we generally pair these emerging firms with, 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 with um, the big firms. But um, also to indicate that um, we, we, and we are starting to see some of these fruits. For example, um, the, the, the governance advisor um, on the bid evaluation process, which is TIC and MAND, it's an emerging firm and they were able uh, in this round of the IPP process uh, to stand on their own. So, so there is a deliberate program um, by the department and the IPP office and the DBSA to introduce um, um, uh, emerging firms and make sure that they, 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 they gain their relevant skills and they're able to participate in this kind of project. So, so it, 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 it's not a JV, but it was a deliberate pairing where the bidders um, um, are asked to, 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 to bid. Um, what are the rehabilitation plans? Yes, there is a requirement um, for on all the bidders to make provision for rehabilitation as part of their projects. And I will leave the details of that for uh, maybe Bernard to, to unpack when he adds. Um, then the question around what happens to, there were 11 bidders, eight were announced. What is the process with the three other bidders? As I'd indicated, the, 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 the provision in the RFP was that uh, we're going to look do benchmarking and look at the costs that these bidders are putting forward. With these three bidders, when with these three bids, when we look at the costs 
in terms of the project, they, they were a bit out of the norm with similar projects. And uh, engagements has happened with these companies and they are looking at the numbers. And I believe we, uh, the team that's working on this from the IPP office is almost finalizing and we will definitely make an announcement soon uh, in, this, in this regard. Um, there was a question around, um, are there any specific uh, reasons um, you have uh, technical advisors on both sides, um, um, which is generally sometimes the same company? What happens is that, and think maybe let me leave this one to Bernard, um, who is more on the operation side at our people office to, to touch on. Um, I've explained what happens um, if the service provider fails to deliver during the tenure of the, of the projects. There are penalties. And I think there are also even penalties, even if the service provider is connected and the plant is operating, there are penalties if the service provider is not able to meet the request of the system operator at that particular point in time as agreed. So there are penalties in terms of payments that they might have to make um, as well. The, 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 the question around the projects in, 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 in various locations, um, Specifically on this program, because we're looking for projects that can come online as soon as possible. Location of the projects was not a requirement that we had put up front to say, you know, you, you, you need to be in these particular areas. But what I can share, Chair, is that um, more and more, as the ESCOM grid becomes constrained, we can see that um, what is starting to happen is that projects are starting to go and look in provinces that they would have not gone and looked at. Um, if you look at specifically uh, PV projects, they all wanted to go to the Northern Cape because the resources in the Northern Cape are very good. I mean, the output you get in the Northern Cape compared to Limpopo, it is said that would differ by about 30% at times. So, but what we are starting to see is that because of the limitations in terms of the grid in the Northern Cape, you're starting to see projects coming up in, um, in other provinces um, because the projects are also chasing where it is easy to, to connect to the grid. But one of the considerations that we're looking at, Chair, is as part of the just transition and what would happen in Pumalanga, we, 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 and, and the need to target where there is grid access, there is a discussion that's ongoing about how do you redirect some of these projects to other provinces where they, and, and they're driven by obviously available capacity uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the network. The, we've spoken about the length of the contracts. Um, let me just clarify the one around, there was a concern about the number of bidders selected uh, 17, but only eight were, were recommended. Um, Chairperson and members, they, what I had indicated is that the evaluation process is a two-stage process. Uh, the first process says that, the first part says that, have you met the minimum requirements? So basically you had the 28, they went through a process of saying, did you meet the minimum requirements in terms of this uh, uh, program requirements? If yes, you put, you go through, if no, you automatically out because it means what you're offering is not what we're asking for. Then once you've done that, then you go into the next phase. And in the next phase, that's where the price and um, 
uh, issues of uh, economic development kick in. So the 17 met the minimum requirements, but then eight, sorry, 11, 11 came within the 2000 megawatts. Remember we, we were, we were procuring 2000 megawatts and these eight projects give us 1,995. So effectively the amount of energy we're looking at, the amount of capacity we're looking for, it's all taken up by the 11 projects. So that is the reason you have 11 projects, not 12 projects or nine projects, is because it was dependent on the number of, um, on the amount of energy that we're trying to, to, to procure. Chair, um, with your permission and DG, I will uh, ask Bernard to respond to some of the questions that I may have not uh, touched on. Bernard. Uh, thank you, DDG and DG. Good afternoon, uh, good morning, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Members. Um, DDG Mbele covered most of the question, but let me start by emphasizing that um, the process that we undertook here was in line with uh, the Preferential Procurement Act. It was in line with all the regulations there under. It was in line even with Section uh, 1-7 of the Constitution. The process was fair, open, and transparent, and it was equitable. And, and we do believe that um, uh, this process was um, above board, and it was in line with all the other processes that the IPP office follows in procuring um, the uh, independent power producer energy. Um, I must also emphasize the number of concerns around the influence from government. The way the IPP office operates is that we receive an instruction to undertake the procurement process from the department. And thereafter, all the processes that happens um, are within the IPP office. We do uh, now and then uh, go back to the department to make sure that we follow the uh, supply chain uh, management processes in full and where we need certain approvals we will then go back to the department. But ultimately the final product that get handed to the department is the outcome of the procurement process. Um, the appointment of TAs that is done by the IPP office together with the DBSA, uh, the drafting of the RFPs, the evaluation process, all of that is done, uh, monitored closely by the IPP office employees but with um, assistance of the technical advisors, as was mentioned. Maybe just to touch on some of the questions that, that were raised. Um, we are in constant uh, discussions with all the entities that are involved in the authorizations, uh, whether it's TNPA, it's NERSA, um, ESCOM, in terms of the connection assets. And so far, we have not been made aware of any risk to reaching financial of these projects. We know that the timelines are very tight, but uh, at this point in time, I can confirm that um, even TNPA around the ports access issues, uh, the last meeting that we had, they were even having workshops with some of these bidders to make sure that uh, all processes are, are followed and finalized before financial close. Um, then there was a question around um, yeah, I'll just comment on some of the questions 
uh, the decline in the RE price, yes, it, it is correct. But I think as DDG Mbele mentioned, uh, there are limitations. And this is the reason we structured this program as a dispatchable program. Uh, there are limitations with uh, renewable projects as standalone projects, which is why you saw in the projects that we uh, shared with you this morning that uh, whenever there's a renewable, it will be combined with either gas or combined with battery storage. Um, so the decline is there, but uh, unfortunately for grid um, management perspective, you still need uh, this dispatchability requirements that Didi Bailey spoke about. And just to give you an example, uh, some of the members will remember the challenges that um, California had last year. And I think uh, uh, Texas has similar, had similar challenges as well, um, where there are limitations in just deploying one technology. Um, so for now, from an engineering perspective, um, there is no one technology that can provide the solution to our energy challenges in the country. So that's just a, a comment um, in responding to some of the questions raised. Um, then there was a, a question around uh, appointment of TAs, just to comment on that. Yes, we, we took a deliberate uh, decision that we will be appointing them in pairs. Um, and to be exact, 30% of the work is subcontracted to the imaging panels. And interestingly, we have actually seen the, the drop in the prices by creating this competition between the, the technical advisors. Uh, so the risk mitigation actually was the cheapest program that the IPP office has ever undertaken from a procurement perspective. Um, the cost of running this program was, was the cheapest. And as Didi Jimbele mentioned, we have already started seeing benefits of this process with some of the uh, imaging firms now standing, starting to operate as standalones. Um, then, yeah, on the rehabilitation plans, um, so each project is required in terms of the uh, agreement that we are going to sign with them to have the rehabilitation trust for the duration of the uh, power purchase agreement, the 20 years. And every year they have to report to us and we'll be doing audits as well uh, in terms of the status of the trust uh, from a tax perspective, but also from the provisions that will be required uh, to rehabilitate the sites when the projects are decommissioned. So this is something that we introduced with the risk mitigation and it's also found its way into the uh, bid window five as well. Um, then just maybe on that question, related question around the same TAs uh, appearing on the RFP development and evaluation. Um, I must mention here that uh, there is no requirement to separate the uh, technical ad advisors for uh, development of the procurement documents and the evaluation process. So we took a decision that in order to allow more um, parties to be involved in this process, more technical advisors, uh, especially bringing imaging firms, we decided to separate these two um, uh, activities and have separate um, advisors for the RFP development 
and the evaluation process. And again, we saw that we also saved from a procurement cost perspective because we are creating competition and we are also allowing more participants um, to, to be involved in, in the process. And it, it has worked very well and we are going to continue with the same process for future programs. So the reason you had WSP and Webers appearing on both sides, it means they were successful in the selection process for technical advisors for both activities, uh, the RFP development and the evaluation process. And then on local content, um, just to clarify that uh, local content uh, in terms of the definition is utilizing uh, South African products, uh, both in terms of uh, construction period, but also the operating and maintenance. Um, the DTIC together with National Treasury through the um, the National Treasury designated sector circulars, they have designated certain products as um, designated local content, which means those products can only be procured uh, locally. And those are the products that we exclude when we calculate um, the local content contribution, because then we expect everyone to, to utilize those, those products. Um, if the, the bidders have received the exemption. And the other requirement is that if one bidder receives the exemption on a particular uh, product, that exemption then becomes applicable to all the other bidders. So the gas engines, for example, um, if the DTIC gives an exemption to gas engines, that will be applicable to all the other bidders. Similarly, if, if they give an exemption to PV panels, that will be applicable to all the bidders. So the requirement is that we set a minimum local content threshold. And in this case, it was a 40% local content threshold. And how it's calculated, you first exclude those exempted um, products in, term to, in terms of the DTIC um, and the National Treasury uh, designated sector circulars. And then you calculate what we call the total project value. And then out of the, the, the amount that will then be left off, you look at how much of that will be spent locally uh, on local products. And the requirement was that each of the seller or project company has to meet the 40% requirement. And that is how we ended up with the, um, uh, the local content that, that you saw in the presentation. Um, Titi Jimbele, I'm not sure if I missed anything else. I think you've covered all the other questions according to my notes here. Back to you, uh, DG. Um, thank you very much, uh, the head of the IPP office at DDG Mbele. Um, Chair, we would like to, uh, in fact, is the last part that uh, required to, to deal with. Uh, firstly, let me just confirm that uh, there is no political involvement in the procurement process, and that is in terms of the law. 
I think um, the DG has clarified this point and the head of IPP office. Uh, let me explain, Chair, that uh, my name is Tabo Shatrak Mokwena. Now, it is evident here that uh, the other colleague, he must have the same name as mine, but uh, I doubt if the middle name is the same as mine. And so I think that's why I need to start in responding to this question. In government, we declare our interest uh, annually if we serve as directors or shareholders of any uh, company or companies, and we have done that exercise, and uh, the information is there for public consumption. Now, we also have regulations that are governing us, as you know, that uh, in terms of uh, public service regulations, we are prohibited from doing uh, business or conducting business with uh, government or any organ of state. Now, here you are talking of um, the companies that are going to work with ESCOM, and ESCOM, by its nature and existence, is an organ of state, as con contemplated, uh, you know, in terms of Section two two three nine of the Constitution. Now, you can even take this matter further, uh, because I mean, you know. If uh, anyone is found having, you know, been involved in doing business in, with government, that is a criminal um, conduct on its own. And so, um, I wonder how the DG of DMRE uh, can be less considerate of those very important uh, instruments. Now, coming to the issue of procurement um, as to whether the DG, what is the involvement of the DG? From my side, it's just a point of emphasis uh, because it has been clarified that uh, we have transactional advisors that uh, do evaluations. Even uh, on top of that, we have uh, the bit evaluation from the side of the department and they finally bring their recommendations to the DG uh, for an approval. And so that's how the process is, is undertaken. And so if there is any doubt in terms of how the process has been undertaken, I think information can be requested if there is any interference, um, the DG uh, fiddles with the documents and so forth. And so uh, I think, Chair, those are the only few uh, issues that, uh, you know, I thought that uh, I just need to re overemphasize on those points. Uh, the colleagues have already responded to those questions. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. Uh, but over and above that, we do welcome questions and comments. And, um, you know, we are here appearing before Parliament. Uh, we understand your mandate and role as, as Parliament, and we understand our role as well as the Executive. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, thank you, DG. Honorable members, allow me to make the request because we are supposed to be closing the meeting now. <coughs> we, we, we have developed a new approach, an approach that says most of the issues that require our attention, especially where we are supposed to express views, we have to deliberate on those issues as a committee and be able to make a final determination 
of what do we think requires if it needs to be recommended as a committee. And I think it's again one of those issues that we can't close now. But we wish as a request that today we also have to adopt the minutes of the last uh, committee meeting that we had so that it can prepare the report that will be giving members for deliberations on the date we disclose. I want to suggest this honorable members that uh, we also include this for a discussion in the committee. There are a few issues. I don't want, at this stage, I don't want to express my views. What is good, and I must explain, is that when this issue came in, we saw it as a rapid response exercise by the department and government in general. And obviously, had we waited for quite a longer time, some of the issues by the time we express uh, views or, 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 or make recommendations, time would have been much ahead of us. And, and that's exactly what uh, made us to say, if this is a matter of an, 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 allow me to use the word in inverted commas, of an emergency intervention, um, most definitely it requires to be treated as such. So that by the time we schedule a normal meeting, we, we don't then say hey, the processes are far ahead of us or certain things are beyond our control or our determination. I wonder then when we go back, and I'm not going to deny members, when we go back, I always say when we go to a meeting, we must ask the question, what do we want to achieve with this meeting? What is the ultimate objective? Um, is there anything that we think by actions was done uh, in, an, in a manner that does not or is not consistent with what has been the processes. I must say, when I was sitting here, um, when I was looking at this thing, there was nothing that untoward that had been said, except to make this thing digi to say, I think whilst the report is good, I think for me, the report misses one thing, which was a concern. And I think one of the members from where we sit, as members of the committee, we also need, uh, I always say, we must not be shy from what we think sometimes is a territory we don't wish to go to. One of the things, DG, um, which for me I would have loved the report, uh, because I don't want the reason sometimes there are assumptions is that there are certain things that are not being put straight. Um, Mr. Mpele, uh, when he makes a submission, for an example, and these are the things we'll have to go back in the discussion and clarify. When you make a submission, he, you may leave us with a perception that you don't know whether an environmental exercises were, 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 were performed or were, were committed. I think you must be straight, uh, Mr. Mpele, and say, for an example, this is what we must look at. These people would not have succeeded on what they were doing if they didn't have an environmental compliance certificate. So that as a committee, we will then be able to ask a question, where does that fall? 
So if it falls with the Department, for an example, of environmental affairs and the other related issues, forestry and fisheries, we can then be able to say it actually means if there is anything that is untoward in relation to environmental compliance and the other related matters, then that might fall squarely on the Committee on Environmental Affairs so that we don't transcend on our mandate of what has to be done. So at this stage, we may not have what was specifically put into place when these things were put forward. Would it be possible for these people, for instance, to get to be granted some of these projects, these, these, uh, these um, uh, commitments, if they had not met certain requirements? Because I think what becomes a concern from members is that we're not sure whether some of these things compliance, especially on, on, on environmental um, uh, issues, whether it was a precondition or it's just a granting and then whether you get it or not, you will see it on your next stage. I think that to me, the report is not being explicit enough to give us what is that is definite. The second thing, I think we must not run away from the fact that if this is a short term, and I'm raising these issues because the committee must deliberate on these issues and not be shy away. There is a new phenomenon in the starting point. If this is a short term or a, 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 a rapid response exercise, how do we make a justification? I understand, I'm not saying that is the case. How do we make an explanation of short term on others subject to renewal and others have got a long term? Let's say if we've got an exercise of 10 or 5 and then others 20, what, what, what is it in relation to the rapid response exercise? How does it relate to those different uh, approaches that uh, have been made? I think this, this will remain an issue that we must, we must take it up. Can we, and I think it requires the committee and members, others argue that uh, this is, a, this is a, a process that is not necessarily a process of policy direction. This is a, an implementation in relation to an existing policy. Can we take that as a part of a discussion there? Um, why do we say, for an example, others say, no, 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 this is not procurement. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a separate process that requires proper consultation. Others argue that this is, a, this is a clear process of implementation. And in the context of implementation, it is true prioritized bidding. And if that is the case, what are the recourses that are there? And how do we differentiate those who participated in the process out of interest? And those who out of interest in terms of what are the rewards in terms of profit margins, if you want to use that word. And those who would have put an eye on what they believe should have been an exercise to be done even if they were not beaten out of their own interest. But that, lastly, I think on this issue, member, we should not run away from this thing. There are certain things that we will not agree as members, and we should not be shy and try and go. I don't want to take it, uh, and, and please, none of you must take it personal. For an example, how we interpret the integrated resource plan and what it contains 
and what are the options and what should be emphasized at the expense of the other? What is our interpretation of the just transition? Most definitely, we've got our own preferences, but we must go to the point, do we think that there's an overemphasis of a process that is not contained on what is a government policy? And therefore, on what grounds then do we think, we, what recourse do we have in that exercise? Otherwise, let's, let's agree, there are people who will feel that the chance transition exercise is not necessarily enough. They will want tomorrow to see us taking this particular route. And let's agree, probably, those are the issues we cannot finalize. And at every given opportunity, we might, uh, we might want to express the views that reflect what is our optional choices that we have. So I'm just raising these issues that we shouldn't run away as committee members to take responsibility for our own deployment. But I always say I, I wish to avoid a situation where we, we act on the basis that if I disagree, we ignore the reasons and the basis of disagreement. We then label those issues as if there are other motives beyond what is here. We'll end up now discussing on the basis of emotions, not on the basis of what affects that we need to do. Lastly, it's a request, honorable members. When we go to a discussion, I always say, uh, for instance, DG, I would want tomorrow when we come back, there is an something that has been in the public domain. I see all the other issues. That uh, the issue of uh, this uh, power shoot is a huge cost. And I would have loved, and I'm saying you are not part of them. And I, I don't wish to be a committee that take issues of uh, financial interest, put them in the committee where we will disagree. I don't know those people, but I would have loved because it's one, it's a new phenomenon. I must be honest, I hear uh, many members, they talk about, I have never had an experience of this. And I hate as a member of parliament, when you stand up, somebody say, can you explain how this functions? And I say, no, I don't know. It would have been nice, DG, to say on this new phenomenon, whether good and how excellent it is, I've got no doubt about it, but there would have been an arithmetic calculation given to say, look, for an example, Chair, comparatively to others, this is how much it will. Now, they're in the public domain, and until we correct that perception, if it is there, is that this is the, one of the most costly exercises on the basis that just on its own, you are spending about 200, there will be about a cost of 280 million rent. Now, if we can't deal with that public perception, that public perception is going to remain. And unfortunately, I can't find on the presentation something that helps us to demystify that exercise. So I'm saying we may not deal with the procurement per se, but we may deal on how did we measure. And others would argue and say it may be as a once-off too expensive as you look at it, but if you spread it, it is not necessarily as it is. The last point is what members have discussed. I think it might be able to be understood. If there were to be disagreement, I want to problematize it more, Honorable Mailem. I think you are the one who raised this thing. Not necessarily that I'm saying it is like that. But what would happen if there is a dispute of disagreement? that leads to a stalemate. 
And because I've hooked your energy or your electricity supply, I've hooked up on an arc of the harbor. I just decide I'm taking my stuff and leaving. Where are we in that process? So I would love, DG, if when we come back, we can be able to get a little bit of an in-depth clarity. And I know for a fact, and I'm saying this thing with extreme carefulness, I, I'm not saying you know how it operates, but even if it's your IRP office or whatever, surely you can't grant something on what you do not understand, how, how it does it does it operational. I heard members, others were saying somewhere in one of the, let me say, Middle East countries, it has been applied and it has been efficient. Others say it's too costly and so forth. The truth of the matter is a speculatory and a subjective view by all of us. On this case specifically, it might be nice that when we go there, can you give us a little bit of detail? We are not into, for me, I don't think the committee, honor, honest honorable member, should stick on what has been. But also bear with us. The experience has shown that sometimes the manner in which we do things in the public service um, cost implications by escalation, they come back to haunt us. So can we agree then, honorable member, that we will schedule and we have not finished with the meeting we have got at least a preliminary understanding of what is happening. And next week, we're scheduling next week, Wednesday, to deal with the report in terms of the basic fuel price and the stage of our refineries, which we said it must be there. We'll adopt the minutes, and then we take them. I suggest that this report specific, this one, presentation, we don't take it to any of the staff committee members. We are not taking it to anyone, including the chairperson. We will go back and continue now with the discussion on the presentation so that the committee can make an informed decision. I'm not going to respond to other issues. We'll take all the issues that members were asking or expressing views, including the consideration of public participation, the system and the manner in which if we agree on that, we must also agree how does it unfold and what are the limitations, who do we leave out, who do we bring in, and how do we make sure that that process does not tamper with what I would say is a process that at the end of the day has made preferential choices of who is correct and who is not. So can we agree on that, that we'll deal with the two reports. If we manage to finish them early, uh, we will start with the one, if I had understood initially, probably this should have been the first report uh, that we dealt with, and then the basic fuel price, at least it can still be with us for quite a long time. I'm not saying it is, it is not urgent also on itself. Do honorable members agree so that we can go and adopt the minutes of the, before we are left with the, uh, I'm sure Ari can give us five to ten minutes. We're left with ten minutes to finish the meeting. At, uh, because we are supposed to finish at ten past twelve. Honorable uh, Mylan uh, and Honorable Lorima, I see your hand. Chair. Honorable Mathaula. Maybe before the, the the two honorable members speak, can in summary uh, repeat what you are saying must happen next week? I I, I missed you there. No, I'm saying next week we'll have a discussion. We'll continue with the discussion now. Not necessarily questions of clarity, but I was highlighting certain things that we need to focus on. For an example, what do we want to achieve with the, 
with this process. Number two, what do we think needs to be recommended? Thirdly, what are the key issues that we think they require the attention of the committee? And then I said the department, if it can help us and explain the new phenomenon, which we may not necessarily be used to, how does it function? And why, how do we deal with the public perception that it is the most expensive to a point that it gives figures? That's the only thing that the department probably can make an arithmetic calculation and provide for us when we go for discussions in the committee. So I'm saying this now rests with the committee itself to discuss and where there are things that we think that they have been, there was an action untoward. For an example, I don't think members would ask a question as to whether there was political interference or not. Let's, that's our duty. If as a member of parliament, I feel that there was a political influence like this, like this, let's put things on the table. Let's deal with them as they come. If we feel, for an example, I know the teacher has answered the question, if we've got proof or we've got a reasonable uh, information at our disposal that some of the people stood to benefit, we can't hide it. We must deal with that issue. We are members of parliament and we are responsible to the public. We should not hide anything except if we are not sure of what we are raising. That's the point we are saying. We are saying this one is not going to be the, the one on the basic fuel price. It's not going to be tempered with. It's a continuation of the meeting. But after we have dealt with the report of the basic fuel price. Did you hear me now? Uh, yes, Chair, I heard you. Okay, let me hear members before we go to the Minister. Honorable Mylem. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not sure. There were, there were a couple of questions that I didn't get a clear answer to, and, and I, I do thank the DG for clarifying that he is not the person that is listed as Tabo Mokwena on the Vera Works uh, director's list, but it's it just seemed very strange that uh, the only other director in that was was a Tabo Mokwena, but okay, I accept that, and I, I apologize if there was any implication in that that he was in some way uh, involved or otherwise. Um, but I didn't get a clarity, and um, Mr. Mbele said that Mr. Makoro would, would answer it, about the exclusion zones in harbors and the the uh, impact on shipping uh, and 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 the like. I I really didn't get a, a clarity as to to that. Okay, but no, you know what I was saying. My uh, what I'm trying to avoid is when we get cut off from the time we are allocated. Gigi, uh, can you give that answer so that by the time we meet. But they will be part of this meeting, by the way. It does not necessarily mean that if they don't present, they will not be part of the meeting. You, they know they should be part of the meeting. But DG, can you send that in, in, in writing? But also, if you, because I don't want to give you time, we take another 10 to 15 minutes, we end up not finishing the meeting itself. Can you, can you do that, give that answer? If it's not answered, Honorable Milam, at my, at my own commitment, we can have to start with that question before we continue with the discussions on the matter. Is there, do we agree, honorable members, that uh, we take this to our next meeting next week, Tuesday, so that it can be scheduled? Thank you, Okay, I take it there's consensus. Can we quickly, before I recut that off, I'm doing this, honorable members, at least if we have adopted the minutes. The minutes are not a decision. 
the minutes are a reflection of the proceedings of the meeting. Can we deal with the minutes so that we can know that uh, when we discuss, we discuss something that we are owning. Uh, the minutes are in relation to the basic fuel price. Uh, can you throw, throw them on the screen, uh, Ari, very quickly? Just to remind you, Chair, we didn't send the minutes to prior to the meeting to members. Eh? This will be the first time that the members see the minutes there. Send it to the members. I didn't know you didn't do that. You know that we can we can yeah. we can then we can then honorable member, it means Ari is given us an extra task. We will before we deal with the report uh, on the basic fuel price, we will start by adopting the minutes. And then uh, we will go and have a discussion on the draft report, report or on the draft discussion uh, document. And then we will adopt it. And then we will go and adopt the minutes of this meeting. And then we will deal with the discussions going forward in relation to this so that we can have proper a proper structure. I'm not saying whether it's a report or whatever it will be, but... Uh, I know committees don't take decisions, but uh, as a committee, we don't talk just for the sake of talking. There must be outcomes. We will then state on the outcomes of what the committee views as to be the approach on this matter. If we then agree with that, uh, honorable members, let me also raise the issue. I've heard uh, DG, I'm still gonna look, I didn't want to listen that, uh, honorable members, there is a bill uh, that has reached Parliament, it has not yet been uh, uh, referred. Forget me to alert you in advance, um, which means if in our program, when we open, depending where that be, when that bill from the department comes, uh, it could mean that uh, it might temper if it comes on the quarter that we've already adopted our progress because we were told that's what we must prioritize as a committee. So let's just be ready that uh, we may have an extremely task, tough task uh, when we come back from recess. Um, if it is available or it has been, it has reached our task, we might be able to provide it to you by next week uh, when we have done the, just to give you a clue what bill it is and um, uh, what is when by agency it's supposed to be attended to. On that note, honorable members, uh, uh, I've least exceeded by one minute, Ari. Can uh, we agree that the, minute, the meeting stands adjourned until next week, Wednesday? Read. Thank you. Roger. Thank you, Chair. Mama Linda. We saw the new look of uh, the the DG, the advocate, with the glasses. 